0: Whoop there's the plagiarism <laughs> you me and Joshua David Evans accused of plagiarism in a smear campaign why is it always that why is it always plagiarism <laughs> God. It's such a frustrating accusation especially when it's when it's just completely baseless cuz you're like uh, no like show me the words where that i plagiarized and no one ever does now you're just no a-
1: one ever yeah. does no one ever has proof and then you, you're you put in a situation where you feel like you have to scramble to disprove what they're saying, which is hard to do when it's just, it's just not true. Like, why would I need to show evidence mm-hmm. that I didn't plagiar? It's, it's so fucking frustrating. Yeah, it is. Ugh.
0: And it's also just like, it's very serious when you do put a lot of Um, because again both you and I were accused of plagiarism you with your books and me with my academic writing and my blog and uh, when especially when it's something like serious like you have published a book or you have you want to have some kind of academic position and career it's a big deal to be accused of plagiarism but then you really do have to consider the source because it's not a big deal to the people accusing you when they're just anonymous online bullshitters like that's absolutely nothing, but, but it's a big deal when it's your career and your life and it's like your words and what was meant to represent you. Yeah. It's just a huge difference between the way that people feel when they're making that accusation baselessly, because it's some, like, I don't think it sits with just like a normal person who hasn't produced a ton of writing. How big of a deal that is when you've put your heart into your writing and it's you, and it's almost like you just ripped it off and scammed someone. like not only is that a lie that's just completely devastating right yeah so poor josh with his music
2: (laughs) her and johnny Mm -hmm. made a whole joke of it and then she added that song into her show Mm -hmm. and like made it like a thing Mm -hmm. i think it's just a normal thing that she does
3: first thank you for sharing that Uh, and i think
2: that i've never said any of that stuff Mm. so i want you to know like I'm, i'm scared that i just said that i'm not gonna tell you to edit things out but I'm scared. I'm scared because I've seen what she can do
3: Mm -hmm.
2: behind the scenes and how that affected my life, every aspect of my life. See, I go back and forth from like wanting her to be okay to also fearing her. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of her. I'm afraid of what she'll nitpick about this.
3: Fear. That's one of the most common emotions I've heard throughout covering this story. It's a word Adam McIntyre has brought up in regards to simply being believed. It's something Becky and Oliver and Alex have all expressed to me. Many members of the Clean fandom who have spoken to me off the record have expressed it. Uh, Bella, who anonymously spoke against John Silvestri in part three and has recently come forward publicly on Twitter also has expressed fear throughout this. And now here we have Joshua David Evans. And one thing all of those people have in common is being afraid. And that fear directly relates back to the power of Colleen Ballinger.
2: She'll say I'm lying. She'll say it's not true. And somehow that'll get around to the certain type of people that will then come after me again. So I am i want to be honest with you and answer your questions. But I also want to make a point that I'm, I'm freaking terrified that I just said that do, stuff.
3: Do you feel like you might in some way still be under her spell,
2: so to speak? Well, I'm not under her spell, but I do feel like I am still within the bounds of her control.
4: Hmm.
2: That spell wore off, and I now absolutely see what role I played in it like it also says a lot about who I am as a person to welcome that into my life year after year after year where if anyone came to me and said I'm dealing with this in my relationship what should I do my advice would have always been get the hell out Mm -hmm. what are you doing but I didn't give myself I didn't do that for myself so no I'm not under a spell but I do still to this day feel like she has control of the narrative she has control of how of what happens to me. And I really don't know how to get away from it other than what I've done with my life now, which is peace out and get away from having other people be a part of my life in that way. I'm very closed off. I don't trust people. I never used to be that guy. I was always the, almost like the golden retriever in the room. It's always like, <laughs> so everything's good. Cool. I know that you beat me yesterday, but I'm gonna come love on me today. Not saying that she beat on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were times that she definitely smacked me around but not not like we were fighting and she smacked me i'm not saying that well i'm gonna i mean you know i'm gonna ask was she physically we would never get into an altercation where she would smack me or anything like that but playfully Mm -hmm. she would roughhouse with me it was more consistent than i wanted to believe because people are like you know people screenshot and like make compilation videos and Mm -hmm. they're like look at all the times that she's done this on the honeymoon she sprayed sunscreen in his eyes and look at this where she smacked his chest really hard or look at this where It's very known in our relationship that I didn't want her like touching my butt all the time, especially out in public, I'm insecure. I I was always uncomfortable having any attention put near there. Mm -hmm. And she would always try to like mess with me back there. And that's playful, but she also knew that it made me really uncomfortable. Did you ever express to her?
0: That's also interesting. And I'm curious what you think about it because he's describing how they never got into, I guess he says altercations, but she would playfully hit him. And then people would even make compilations kind of showing that it had happened quite a lot. And also some of it was like boundary crossing, like she's trying to touch his butt and it's making him uncomfortable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that does reveal some kind of weird masked contempt. And I think yeah. if it was in a relationship like that, where somebody was continually Like low-key making me feel uncomfortable with the physical contact but it was all played off as just a joke bro Mm
2: -hmm. i do
0: feel like that is some kind of and maybe somebody doesn't notice they're doing it but i think that betrays some kind of abusive dynamic there what do you think
1: i think it's true i think it does point to an undercurrent of contempt it's like pretty thinly veiled abusive behavior Because when you do call out, when it's masked as like a playful thing and you do call it out and say, hey, this makes me uncomfortable or this actually hurts, they typically turn it around like, oh, you're being so sensitive or I was just playing with you. And then you end up having a caretake for their pretty fake feelings. (laughs) But really the the issue is that, that they're just upset that you noticed and they can't keep doing it. It's, it's like a, it's another kind of power thing. They're kind of banking on the fact that you'll go along with the joke, but there is no joke. You're just abusing your partner because you can. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: I think that you can be not aware of yourself too. And be doing that to a partner accidentally. But I also don't think that's the case in this case either. But it made no, you no, uncomfortable. Trust me. Oh, yeah.
2: About like the butt thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And she would still continue. Oh, yeah, to she, there's it, even so... a blog where she does it. And then you can see that I'm not happy and I walk.
0: And then the butt thing is just a straight up consent thing. Like, don't touch someone's butt if it clearly makes them uncomfortable. It's not playful. Don't do that.
2: Way, mm-hmm. and she's still filming and then she says he doesn't like it when I do that but I'm being a brat and I keep doing it so mm-hmm. she acknowledges mm-hmm.
3: and, You know, it doesn't matter you being a man that's not a factor if you set a boundary about where someone can touch your body or how they can uh, be in your personal space I, I can see you just you're, you're crossed Sorry. everything is crossed on your body I just
2: don't want it to. Cu- I don't I think she's got so much on her plate I don't want it to I don't want to add another thing
3: your t- let me stop you for a second when you say that it's not your responsibility to feel like you're adding something to someone else's plate when you're telling your story so if this is your story if this is your truth you are a whole human being just like she's a whole human being we all are and if these are things that you have felt and that you haven't expressed or you haven't felt like you were able to you are entitled to
2: i never that
0: clip i put on my TikTok because And we should stick it in the episode because it's so good because Swoop is an amazing interviewer and basically should also be a therapist. (laughs) And that is such a key point. I'm so glad that she got there with this interview and just really pushed on this idea that he is protecting Colleen the whole interview and that it's okay for him to tell his story. And it is not abusive of him to tell his story and it is not his responsibility that she that it's not his responsibility to manage her emotional fallout from him just telling the truth about the experience that he had that is so important and i'm so glad that swoop like made such a big point of
1: that it's so important But I think in him trying to protect Colleen in that way, he's also trying to protect himself because it's so easy for people to flip the script and make it seem like he's this horrible, abusive man. So it's like, I can see where he thinks it's beneficial to him to genuinely want to protect Colleen, but also in doing that, protecting himself.
2: Is processing that, okay. Looked at it like it was some problem because we had far deeper problems than that. I think maybe if we didn't have those other problems, I would be like, why do you smack me all the time? But I never viewed it that way. But if I think about my relationship, my wonderful, amazing marriage that I'm in now, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think of it that way, then it's like, oh, well, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. There are normal relationships where you have consent and you respect each other and you know what's too far and what's just playing. and, Mm And that dynamic does not exist in my marriage with Pamela.
3: I want to take a moment to acknowledge someone who is deeply affected by this story, but is often left out when it comes to discussing who this all impacts, and that person is Pamela. Pamela is Joshua's current wife. They've known each other for decades and have been married since 2018, and it is Pamela who witnessed and stood by Joshua during some of the darkest moments in his life. By her own words, it was Pamela who stepped in to be a source of strength for their family, Pamela who would put her hand on his chest while he slept, day in and day out, to make sure he was breathing, and Pamela who stood by him when he chose to face his participation in this story. Like Joshua before. Pamela has also been relegated to the shadows in conversations about her more famous spouse, often referred to as just the other woman or the new wife. It's not uncommon to see hurtful comments made about her whenever Joshua would speak up, with parts of the fandom putting words in Pamela's mouth because she has never spoken out publicly. That is, until today. Now, Pamela and I spoke on the phone for about an hour. She is her own person, who I believe is often disregarded in the story and has asked to speak with me in her search for peace. Now, I'm gonna be real, it was a very emotional call. Pamela shared a lot of tears, a lot of confusion, concerns but most of all compassion through all of the fear and pain that Pamela has experienced over the years I was taken aback by the profound level of empathy that she had for everyone involved and her desire for healing and a couple of days after our call Pamela decided that she wanted to share a statement with me which I would like to read in full for all of you now quote at the core of my heart is a desire for people to have peace and for everyone to live from a place of humanity and kindness you never really know what a person is going through and the profound effects your words and actions can have on them and their lives and the people close to them there are so many Things I could say and I've wanted to say throughout the years and even recently. I have chosen to keep things close and focus on taking care of and protecting our family, our little safe bubble, and our mental health. I love Joshua with all of my heart and I am so grateful for and admire how hard he has worked to overcome some very heavy and dark times, choosing not only to live, but also to strive for peace and goodness, all while continuing to learn and grow in the midst of it all. My hope and wish for my husband, myself, our family, and everyone involved is for peace, healing, and to be able to close this chapter, move forward, and be good to one another regardless of what your opinion might be on the people directly involved in this story I think it's important we always try to remember that these stories have far-reaching effects that impact more than just the central people involved and that just because Pamela has been quiet until now does not mean she's not affected Pamela is deserving of a safe space and healing just like all of the others who have been hurt and I hope that we can all extend her the same compassion as she is so Pamela I just wanted to thank you for sharing your words with us even when you did not have to I know that this has been a very stressful time for you and I just hope that everyone shows her the kindness that she deserves And now the moment that many people have been waiting for, the questions that we asked Joshua about Colleen's alleged toilet cleaner, Corey DeSoto. Because in case you didn't know, Colleen Ballinger's best friend in the world is a man who is also her assistant, somebody she has called her soulmate, who has lived with Colleen at her house over the course of two marriages now. Now, Corey has his own allegations, which are a story for another day, but I was curious about what life for Joshua was like with Colleen's real number one, Corey DeSoto. What was life like with Corey DeSoto?
4: It was hard because I never felt like I had a marriage or a relationship. I felt like I was a part of something plus him, and, and I was there too. Everywhere I look, there he is. I wake up in the morning. There he is. I go to bed at night. He's going into, into his room. She had made a post on Instagram, and she said that, you know, this is my soulmate. And I remember looking at that and being like, well, I would never say that about anybody other than my person.
3: Do you think that was directed at you in any way? I, or...
4: I think she, she always knew what she was doing. And then she played this kind of like naive, what? That made you upset? Oh, I would never think that. And it's like, but you know, you know, the word soulmate is a pretty big word to say to somebody. You just got married, and your soulmate is Corey DeSoto.
3: And now for the part of the interview where I hold true to my word that in exchange for hearing him out on his painful experiences, I would make Joshua hear me out on all the things that he has verifiably done wrong. This is the part where I ask Joshua directly to take accountability for his actions. I have seen some comments saying how it is problematic to platform someone who admits to doing bad things. Why? Why is that problematic? The thing is, I think it would be problematic to ignore the people that this story directly affects. And each of them have expressed publicly or privately that they want to hear directly from the people who failed them and that they want them to take accountability. For whatever reason, Joshua is the only one who is even attempting to do this right now. He has said that doing this on his platform would be detrimental to his mental health. So. I have to ask them, why not here? Why not now? I've sat for nearly 24 solid hours worth of interviews with Adam, Joshua, John, Becky, Oliver, Alex, Soph, Bella, and others, and it has been insightful and also, I mean, it's been exhausting. This has been a long process for a lot of people, but this this isn't for me. This is for every person affected in this story who deserves to hear it straight. These people failed them, and this is what accountability could look like if we're open to it, so you be the judge. Okay, so. This isn't going to be fun you know my team and i have been obviously digging into all of the everything about this story and uh the miranda sings character the content what you have been involved in you did say something to me off camera that was interesting to me in regards to talking about these more difficult topics where we're going to talk about accountability and you had said that it's this is kind of the easiest thing for you to talk about Mm -hmm. and i'm curious why why what about this that we're going to get into is easier, in your opinion.
2: I didn't know if I was gonna talk about this, but the way you phrased the question, I'm just trying to be as transparent as I can, and the one thing popped in my head. I was for a very long time after all this happened, to the point where I had a, a handwritten will in my pocket for Pamela, my wife. I was very much at peace with the idea, that's a weird way to say it, that if I go, I go. The reason why I say that is because when you're there and you have given up everything, Everything that comes along with that, when you decide, no, I'm going to get up, I'm going to choose something else. When you truly make that choice, you also have to make the choice of, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to face myself. So if I'm going to face my demons, I have to face all of my demons, not just the ones
4: I want to deal with, that feel easy to deal with. I've done a lot of hard work. on
0: Yeah, so he's describing sadly being feeling suicidal and coming past that coming through it and realizing that he has to face his demons and it really is an ego death i've been there and i it, you can just tell from this guy and his entire demeanor and his energy honestly and we are about to get into this section i'm very curious to think of what you what you feel about this this section because it's about him taking accountability for the things that he has done that are uh that are wrong but energy wise it's just so clear to me that he he had some kind of massive ego death and and came out of that and and healed from it and um that definitely can happen when you get to that point and it's really sad that he got there through this
2: i'm very proud of that and it took me years of work of becoming sober and dealing with any lies that I would perpetuate myself and isms I had within myself, excuses I would make. I had to face each one, one by one. And before I decided to live, I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't ready to do that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted out. I just wanted out. I was tortured when I was awake. I was tortured when I was asleep. I had no escape of the kind of thoughts that were always in my head after all of this happened. So there are things that I am responsible for and did, took part in that I needed to say to myself, you did that. You could have stopped it, you could have not done it. You could have said no, you could have just walked away and you didn't. So if you're gonna continue on, let's be the best version that you can be and the only way that happens is if I do the work to do it. So when I say it's easy for me to talk about, I don't mean like it's it's nothing and it holds no weight. It's more that I've been through this thought process. I have exposed the worst parts of myself to the people I care about the most. I've already gone through the guilt and facing it in in, in pointing fingers at myself every single day and hating myself to my core so if we need to talk about things let's talk about them
3: I think that there are a lot of people could say thousands hundreds of thousands who think that this is a long time coming sure very briefly before I do you said one thing that I would like to ask you about you said that you were tortured was that in reference to what you went through with Colleen
2: yeah you know talk about this I saved myself for marriage and I gave it to her. So this wasn't just, hey, this public relationship that was benefiting you crash and burned. It was your whole life's goal and standards you set for yourself and gifts you thought you were saving meant nothing.
0: And that is really telling. He saved himself for marriage. Such a white Christian dude just trying to be good. And it's so interesting to me this entire story the, his entire story arc and I don't I mean it's sad that it's ironic that like I i do think of him as a character in this story when that's a source of a lot of his pain as being made into that really but a lot of his problems as a character stem from the the mistakes that he's making from based on his perception of trying to be an authentically good white christian man <laughs> like uh-huh. and believing idealistically that following that path and just doing it sincerely is going to lead you right and it's like this intense amount of hubris that he got from it from believing uh-huh. that and i and it's sad because it's like you can see that he he meant it but the whole path was gonna be problematic. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: it's so sad. It is so sad. Because you really are set up for failure. And he saved himself from marriage. He really oh. wanted to do it right. That's so sad. Okay. Yeah.
2: Absolutely nothing. You're a joke. I remember right when it happened and I took a month off from YouTube, I, went home to Georgia to be surrounded by family. The first place I walked into, it was like an Applebee's. I sat down and TVs were playing. I look up and my face is on the screen. And I felt so embarrassed. I felt so exposed. I had been used to people recognizing me, but now it's different. And so I can't go and have a meal without seeing it. Aren't you now the ex-husband? Aren't you that guy? What really happened? When my eyes were open, I was tortured. I couldn't go anywhere online without being told every day that I'm nothing, that I did deserve it. Everyone was just attacking me. And then when I would try to sleep, I would shut my eyes, and it felt like a thousand channels were going off in my mind, and every single channel was a channel designed to make me hate myself more. And I just felt no release. I felt no way of escaping any of it. And that's when drinking became a whole different thing for me. It became the only thing that chilled my mind out enough. And it was okay and manageable at first but then it took over and it it became the thing that I needed I needed that more than I needed anything else it there was just no there was no out for me that's why eventually I started looking at alcohol as like cool if you take me out at this point I'm okay with it so yes I felt tortured I was absolutely tortured so.
3: well I, I would like to revisit that Uh, what you just shared a little bit later, and I appreciate you being uh, open about that experience. Um, Being able to discuss is not an easy thing to share, Um, and I know that personally, how difficult that is and what a dark place that is, and it is a pit of hell that I would wish on no one, so I appreciate you opening up about that. I think that's, it takes a lot, if someone hasn't experienced that darkness, it, it can be a little hard to understand just how Mm -hmm. severe those emotions are. But I appreciate you sharing that. Um, but in the same breath, as you said, yeah,
2: let's, let's get to the nitty gritty.
3: Now much of Joshua's struggles with mental health and alcoholism is well documented after his divorce with Colleen Ballinger. He's made content dealing with it, he's tweeted about it, and if you're familiar with the content in part three of my docu-series, you know that it was sadly weaponized against him by people like Jonathan Silvestri. It's disgusting, and it should never happen regardless of the circumstances. But putting all of that aside, so to speak, even though everything is ultimately intertwined, it's time for accountability of Josh's own behavior over the years. just as you had experienced pain, there are things that you have done mm-hmm. that has contributed to pain in others. It is important that we talk about this. Okay. Um, I know that Miranda Singh's content, the content was catered for 13 to 21-year-olds. You had said that in an interview clip that we found. And the fact of the matter is, the content was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. As it evolved almost top to bottom, that was just seemed like the, the constant underbelly to that content for reasons that... Even I'm still trying to understand why that would be the approach so I'm curious and I think a lot of people would like to know what drew you to that content and how did you get to a place where you felt that it was
2: appropriate for you to participate when I discovered her uh, before we had ever spoken she probably had two or three videos out period that was it they were not what they are now and I was very intrigued with what kind of mind would create this I was more intrigued with her than the character i wanted to know her because those original shows that she would do were for the, the audience was older the audience was college and up and the broadway scene that's where she started and it was it was definitely like we were the youngest ones in the room for a lot of it
5: There was a lot of people in my program who were just just had the the characteristics of Miranda, the character that but I do. are so what, it's cocky? Cocky, and just, they talk like this. And just like, they just thought they were so good, and they would record themselves singing songs and post it online for everyone to see, and no bad comments, they only wanted good feedback.
2: But then slowly it shifted, because her content started getting passed around to not just the theater community, mm-hmm. it started becoming more mainstream. Mm-hmm. I would chime in every now and then at the beginning and say, are you sure you wanna do that? Are you sure that's okay? You sure that's the kind of thing you wanna post?
3: Let me, let me ask you, sure. though, let me jump in, because if you say, you know, you were, periodically, let's say, jumping in, kind of uh, chiming in, are you sure you want to do this? Was that more so from the perspective of, is this a good PR move?
2: It was very much kind of me going, is this where you want to take it? But then I also felt like I can't speak up because of course I'm the one with the problem. I'm the one with an issue with it. It doesn't ever go well when I speak out against certain things and choices. And so I became very complicit, very complicit. It got worse and worse and worse. The uncle jokes kept happening. I kept going to shows as just her partner, not even in the show. And I would see the audience change and get younger and younger and younger. Mm -hmm. And when you're in it and you're living in it every day and she's filming every day around you, I'm not saying this is okay, but you become numb to it in a way. And she asked me to be involved in certain videos. And I said, yes. And I'll be honest with you. The reason I said yes was because I knew if I appeared in videos, it would help me too it would expose me to a bigger audience, which means maybe I can do YouTube full-time.
3: So if you're saying that you knew, okay, this is getting bad, this has escalated mm-hmm. uh, beyond anything that you ever thought it would, mm-hmm. uh, and you're saying, I would never do something like that, but then you do, and you start to participate, right? and then you say, you participated in this, you start making those bad things that I would never do, mm-hmm. What I'm hearing is that you were willing to create this inappropriate content for
2: for views. I was was willing to participate in things that were inappropriate because it was going to benefit me. It was going to benefit me professionally and financially.
3: Did it occur to you at the time when you're like, I would never do that, but now I'm doing it because I'm getting the views. Did you have pause and think, holy this is also really awful?
2: I did have a lot of pause and I was a coward and I gave up trying to interject, and then I fully embraced it for myself. Was I writing the content? No. Was I suggesting the content? No. Was I in it, participating, adding to it? Absolutely. Yes. Because again, at the time, you're surrounded with it. It is, unfortunately, very normalized. Things that you think you will never do or be a part of becomes very normal when everyone's cheering, everyone's clapping, everyone's laughing. The views are getting bigger. The shows are getting bigger. And these jokes are killing it. You become desensitized to a point where, you're like, well, maybe it's not that bad. But when you get out of it, when you're not in that dynamic anymore, when I removed, well, when I was removed, I didn't remove myself.
3: Do you think you would have removed yourself at, no. at some point, or no, you would you just continue to do that content? Absolutely. And and I'm I'm curious because you know we're we're talking kind of there, there's these parallels, right? You know, you're participating in the content, but you were also participating just on a no cameras around life happening, and you were in these tiny chats and. Mm. Uh, the group chats, you know, running around town. Um, I'm not sure if you saw, but Adam just did a live stream today uh, of a video that uh, was sent to him, and it's on a fan's channel. Uh, they had done a vlog video with you and Colleen. and, it, and it looks to be in Europe, and they, you and Colleen are hanging out with these two in a hotel room for quite a period of time, and you're at a restaurant together, but you were alone in a hotel room with them, and then mm-hmm. they looked like they were maybe backstage or they were attending a show that... Uh, Uh, Happened in Mm -hmm. that same trip and you know in certain degrees. I hear what you're saying when you're talking about okay Things kind of spiraled they escalated with the content and but the content has a stop and a start You know start and a stop button when you're recording and you go through the edit process you put it out there So that's one area that's problematic, Mm -hmm. you know at best, Mm -hmm. but then when we look at you're actually physically living life taking the photos and the video that we saw, you know, you're sitting on the couch kind of squeezed up next who quite literally says uh, this is uncomfortable or this is awkward. You can hopefully understand why there's so much confusion Mm -hmm. and hurt and anger and Mm -hmm. question about not just how do you get to a place where you're willing to make this content for views and to exploit for clicks and likes and sponsors and all of that, but also carry it into real life. How do you go from "I would never do that" to "now I'm doing that in content"? To "oh, now I'm squeezing up next to on a sofa who says this is uncomfortable."
2: Uh, first, I'll say none of it's right, none of it's okay. I remember early on in those stages, she had a tight click, an original click called the cookies, I believe they were mm-hmm. called. She would have these tiny chat conversations, there'd be plenty of times that I'd be like, oh cool, I'll hop in and I'd hop in. It felt innocent at the time and then it just kept progressing. I normalized it in my head and I said, well, this is not, I didn't start this, I'm just in the background. And I made excuses, Not again, not that it's okay, but it didn't feel like the topics were inappropriate, even though the situation was inappropriate. I remember Colleen saying, they're gonna meet us at this place, we're gonna have, It's a chicken place. How did you know
3: to to have this meeting even scheduled?
2: They were part of the original fan group, the Cookies, I believe. And if I'm not saying the right name of the group, it was that original, original, yeah. When she had shows in Europe, they made plans to meet up. I didn't make that plan. I was there with her and absolutely participated. I absolutely never said you shouldn't do this. Uh, I, again, in my mind, had normalized that this was okay because it's out in public. I know. You
3: were you were in a hotel room, no, with right. these, Yeah. No, right. I mean, I, you know, I, I do have to kind of interject a do little it, bit though, yeah. because I think it's a little more than it wasn't weird. I think it was extremely weird and very concerning. And how do you go from like, oh, I've got these fans that I'm getting this attention from, mm-hmm. and I'm getting the clicks and likes, and this feels so good. Mm-hmm to let's meet up with them, to let's go to our hotel room. How how does that happen and still have the rationale of thinking,
2: oh, this is no big deal? I guess because none of it's right. I'm not saying it's right. If it was an awkward picture taken and I thought it was funny, it's not funny, it's wrong. What I remember from that time was, we're gonna go and meet them and have lunch. And that was all that was told to me. Then in the middle of who, that- Who
3: was telling you this, Colleen?
2: Yeah. And then that progressed to, hey, do you guys just want to uh, come back to the, the hotel? Or it wasn't a hotel, it was a flat. Is there much of a difference? Uh, probably in not. In your opinion? Probably not. Um, in me not saying, Queen, we can't have them come in here. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to tell them to go. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. Looking back on it, I would say, what the hell were you doing? There were a lot of times that I should have just put my foot down and said no. But I, again, pushed that all down and normalized it for myself and made decisions that, when I look back on them, I am appalled at things that I didn't stand up to mm-hmm. and didn't choose to see a bigger picture there. There are things that are far more important that I just did not look at in a, in the way that I should have then. I regret those choices.
3: Uh, you mentioned the tiny chats. Mm-hmm. Uh, in. In my interview with Johnny, he mentioned that you and Colleen and I believe, uh, maybe even Corey, would spend four to five days a week, two to three hours a day in these tiny chats.
2: I would not put myself in the same grouping as the amount of times he's saying. They were doing tiny, tiny chats with or without us being a part of it.
3: They meaning? They thing.
2: being that little crew of fans. Okay. It was very known that a group of them would hop on and do this a lot, and they would tweet to us all the time, hop on, we're chatting, we're talking about you, hop on, are you gonna? it would be so cool if you hopped on for five minutes. It was just constant, so I always knew when they were on because they would let me know that they were on. The amount of times I was a part of it compared to how Colleen was, because Colleen was the init- initially the first one to be involved in that, it- it's a vast ratio. Yes, I was in it, absolutely, but was I doing it as consistently as I saw her doing it? No.
3: Well, how often were you doing it?
2: When I look back on that time, I would say I participated in 5 to 10 amounts, 5 to 10 times.
3: Like in total? In total. the whole
2: Yeah. It was not a, I'm hopping on every day with them. I knew they were on every day. And
3: if it's, you're saying 5 to 10 times for how long?
2: For a span of like a year that I knew they were doing it. It's a weird place to be in. At the time it was like the right thing to do is to interact with those people, to encourage them to watch more of your stuff hope that they would share it with their friends and that you would slowly build a fan base. Meet and greets were always huge, giveaways were always huge. One of the
3: things that Johnny had brought to my attention uh, was, and he he said this I believe publicly as well, um, that there was an instance of you turning off your camera and that you had changed your name to Johnny and then kind of appeared as a surprise towards the end of the chat. What's the story there?
2: This was during the time where Every night I was getting, we're on chat, we're on chat. I think, and they would say, I think Josh is in the chat. He's in the chat. I wasn't on the chat, and it was just constant. Every when when the when I hear, oh, it happened every night. It did, but not with me in it. It got to be a thing where is Josh in the chat or is Josh not in the chat? I can't tell. This person sounds like Josh, and I made a terrible mistake that I look back on and I think is creepy as hell that I did it. I thought I'm going to go on, but I'm not going to say I'm on because I want to see what they say. I want to see what they say when they don't think I'm there lighthearted, not like, oh, I'm gonna catch him. If I add to the chat, but I don't say it's me, what are they gonna say? And I made the stupid decision of alluding that I was Johnny. And then eventually was like, oh, it's not Johnny, it's me. Got you. And at the time-
3: You, you say alluding, did you specifically change your name to say Johnny?
2: I don't remember, but I absolutely know that I made it seem like it was. Him, but not in a way of like giving personal details about him or saying like opinions. Well,
3: you understand how it, it it comes across, though, right? Yeah. Where people, you know, hear that you were, at least in this instance, maybe there were other times that you did this, where you're essentially eavesdropping on a chat.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It's weird. It's gross.
3: And it, I, mean, I think a lot of people would say it's beyond weird, even to to, to just. Trying to understand why, like, why that. that's something that you would want to do with your time,
2: it, without them knowing. Sure, um, a lot of that is absolutely true. What you're saying, it didn't feel like that at the time.
3: Because I think that the the challenge that people have, even if they want to wrap their brains around, like you know, just the tiny chats of it all, but even you saying that these are people that I knew, that I interacted with, retweets, you know, the, mm-hmm. the chats, all of, you know, you're mm-hmm. having all of these interactions. You know, I hear what you're saying when you're talking about th- there was an era of YouTube, and I don't know, maybe if it's still something that happens now, but where creators were interacting with fans and that was what you do, and the surprise meetups and all that kind of thing. But there's a lot of lines that are being crossed there.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. In retrospect, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I wouldn't disagree with anything you're saying. And I, I, I hate saying it like this, but it was so, it's just, It was so normalized. And I'm not saying normalized is okay. I'm saying that as this kind of slowly took off and YouTube was becoming bigger and bigger as a thing that people could do for a living, you start to interact with anyone that interacts with your stuff. And you just think this is how you do it. You interact, you build your fan base. They get to know you, you get to know them. I was never seeking it out originally. I was never like, "Ooh, y'all come over here and let's talk. Let's have a private thing. It was, hey, this is happening. Josh, come over here. Josh, are you, are you online? Josh, if you're online, mm. hop in the chat for a few minutes. I just got back from running errands. Sure, I can hop on. I'm on my laptop anyway, doing, uh, probably editing something or doing something else. Sure, I'll hop on. But again, 39-year-old me now would not do that.
3: I would certainly hope not after all of everything that's
2: happened. <laughs> we, I just mean like regardless yeah. of YouTube and exposure mm. and what people are saying, just me as a human being, I would not choose to do those things. And I wish I could have said that back then. You know, it was wrong.
3: Now, since I conducted this interview with Joshua, the lovely folks at the Colleen Ballinger Snark subreddit and specifically users Jen Cat have actually provided me with not only video evidence of Joshua changing his name to Johnny, but of Joshua actually explaining that he and Colleen would watch fans with their cameras off. It's a very kind of cringe-inducing clip. So we hopped on a call with him to have him explain all of this a little further. There, there have been some things that have come out uh, on the Colleen Ballinger Snark subreddit and there was a clip that was submitted to us pretty recently. I do think it's important this whole story to be as open as possible as you
4: have been. I understand that. Okay. Uh, I know it's not easy. This topic hasn't been easy for quite some time, so and anything that I might have done, I don't want to sugarcoat it and I don't want to sidestep it.
3: We have a clip that I would like you to take a look at.
4: Okay. Sometimes when we're bored, we go on to Tiny Chat and watch uh, our friends chatting with each other without them knowing oh, that we're guys? watching them. We're basically watching you guys right now. Uh, what is this? What are you guys doing right now? i feel like i should not be watching this
5: what is this
4: don't put in sync and "backstreet" in the same sentence tiny chatting with people online does that make me weird maybe i'm no weirder than these guys yeah
3: can you kind of tell me the circumstances then of what you remember around that or if this was something that was common
4: uh this was very similar to the other situation where every single time they were on a chat they would tweet to us we're on this chat we're talking about you uh, come join us just for a sec, come join us, come say, Hey, come say, Hey. And then people would hop on and use weird names to try to be like, do you know who this is? Cause they would blast it on their public Twitter every now and then we would click on those links and see, all right, what are they saying? And that's really all that it was looking at it now. Cause that was clearly, I believe 2014. So it's almost 10 years ago. Even, like even hearing myself answer my own question. Well, I didn't answer my own question. I'm, I'm answering my own question now Isn't that weird. I feel like I should be watching this. Uh, that's because it is weird and I should not be watching that. It was just another situation of you build this fan support and you connect with them, they tell their friends, their friends tell friends, and then you have a bigger base of people watching. Uh, and that was the, the base of people that were always together, always tweeting together, always doing tiny chats together, consistently asking, are you on? Are you on? You should come on. We're talking about this, not that. And so I went on as Johnny. Can you tell me why me.
3: you, why you chose Johnny's?
4: So it was Johnny because I knew he was. Uh, in there all the time I knew that that was he was a presence within them because I I would see all the tweets and the requests to hop on the chat Um, I mean it sounds so weird and because it is weird if if I pretend I'm Johnny then they'll say the truth they'll say whatever they actually think about my content or you know what I posted and I was curious like do they actually like me or do they like that I'm associated with someone and that was my mentality. That's why I, I would hop in every now and then just to see what they were saying.
3: Can you tell me like how long you would watch for?
4: Um, again, it'd be sporadic. It'd be like one time I hopped on and it was for 10 minutes. The next time I hopped on was a week and a half later. That was like a quick five minute. And then they spoke to me like, John, it was weird. I shouldn't have done it. It's creepy to be thinking about it. Was this,
3: um, did you do this alone or were you with Colleen? What was that dynamic? was
4: present for a couple of them. And I even used that for content. I used that one to be like, hey, uh, I'm gonna put you in my vlog. All of the little justifications that I made in my head then were very much of, this is what you do, you're in this element, you're a YouTuber, this is how you this is how you connect. And I made every excuse I could to normalize things and I would not have done if YouTube wasn't something I was pursuing. For the most part, they were always like, we know it's you, we know it's you. Uh, it was all very surface level, fun, talking about the blog, talking about content. It's weird, if you told me that scenario just removed me and put some other grown man in there, I would be like, Hell no, I don't care that you ask him a thousand times to hop on, why is he doing that? In that time of my life, I was desperately trying to build and create a, uh, a channel. I didn't do it all the time, but it was definitely part of it. And I severely wish I did not do those things.
0: I don't know if this is a good time to stop or not, but we're like through the first chunk of the taking accountability section. I just wonder if you have any thoughts because this is a really intense section and Swoop is doing such a good job and uh, I feel like at this point also Josh is doing a good job and just like you have to have really dealt with some ego to even have these conversations and then at the same time he really did do some creepy ass shit so I wonder what you think
1: I think he's doing a great job of Not being defensive and not making excuses for himself. Um, And it seems sincere. It's also in his best interest to not do anything but take full accountability for all of his actions. Because any ounce of defensiveness or anything like that would just look terrible for him. Considering how intense the backlash has been for years. Um, But I, I do agree that he's... He must have done some serious, deep self-work to be able to not only have this conversation, period, but to have it published on a platform that's going to get millions upon millions of views in perpetuity for... Yeah, it's just, it... he's doing a really good job. And I know that must have been really hard for him to be able to talk about this stuff. It's... There's probably some shame attached to it there probably has been some shame attached to it for a while but it looks like he's forgiven himself and he's grown and matured and he's a good example of what it looks like when you do the work to heal
0: yeah i think so too at this point and i think it is good to keep in mind that this is all with with the knowledge yeah full knowledge that a lot of people are going to see this it's also interesting that he gives somebody else control over it when he has his own platform he could explain this all on and he has to have some kind of faith and trust that it's going to be represented fairly and yeah all right and then there's more more of this this is this is where like we i i watched the first hour or so of this i think maybe a little less than that and it was good but I had taken a break and you were and then you were like I'm sucked in and I was like I guess I'll get back into it and then by like around this point in the thing we're now in hour two I remember thinking I cannot stop watching this until we're done with the third hour because this is compelling as shit at this point
1: yeah it's hard to put it down
0: yeah because you're just dealing with like the core of someone's psyche, basically. Because, yeah, this is, like, extremely... Um, Not that... Like, like, this should be a normalized kind of conversation to have. But I have not really ever seen this conversation. I've never seen this.
1: Have you? Never. Never. Yeah. Like, the typical YouTuber apology is, like you know, Colleen's ukulele. Like, yes. This is taking accountability. I've never seen anything quite like this. But he's also not a big YouTuber anymore. He's He hasn't been in the spotlight for a long time. And so maybe that also kind of impacts the level of work you actually have to do to function in real life, not just functioning on YouTube. And it probably it's different when you're a big YouTuber and your money comes from clicks and views and you do something stupid and the the crowd expects you to take accountability take accountability apologize and then you put on your gray sweatshirt and your pearls and you take off your makeup and you have chat gpt write your apology for you and you read it into the camera that's what you're used to seeing in a youtuber apology so this is so so different different for a few
0: reasons i agree all right, let's keep going.
3: But I wanted to touch on a few pieces of content that we had been looking at. Aside from that, that vlog, there is the the honeymoon vlog. The two of you are very much insinuating that she has her hand down your pants mm-hmm. while you're vlogging, mm-hmm. and that is something that you filmed, and then edited then and chose then the uploaded. Thumbnail. Chose the thumbnail, did all of that. Absolutely. Uh, There's also the Miranda Sings kissing tutorial. What were you thinking in that moment when you're filming this Mm -hmm. and laughing about it and then editing it and then uploading it and then leaving it up there and then enjoying the comments and the the ad revenue and all those types of things? I remember
2: that moment that that she started to do that. And I was vlogging. I could've stopped. And I could've been like, all right, I'm not filming this. But in my mind, I thought, this is just our dynamic. We're being silly. I really thought, to myself, what I'm trying to get, I'm I want an audience that are not kids, and my algorithm shows me that it's not, it's not as young as hers. So I kept making again excuses in my head.
3: And I mean, you do know that your audience was coming from Colleen and from uh, Miranda's so I would imagine you were aware of that. Yeah. Uh, so I know you know you're saying that the audience skewed. I said
2: I older. wanted it. I wanted, it, wanted it, to it to become to, okay. more of that. Yeah. Not that it was just mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I want to make that. I mean, that's yeah. what the words I'm okay. giving you. Okay. Yeah. Is that that's where I wanted it to head. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little more bold in some of my decisions thinking, I'm trying to cater to college people and people in their 20s, people that are closer to my age. And so I'm like, it's okay if I push it because that's what I'm gearing it towards. While also knowing that a massive chunk were not that age. Mm -hmm. I clearly regretted it the next day because in the very next vlog, I tried to squash it and say, it's not a big deal. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. Yet I still kept it up. Mm and still benefited on the ad revenue Mm -hmm. of it. There were a lot of decisions that I made that were very close to that very similar to that. Well
3: because you say clearly you regretted it so then you made another you know something addressing it of sorts Mm -hmm. but you you can see that it would be hard for people to believe that you clearly regretted it if you left it up and monetized it. Right
2: because I was selfish. I wanted to gain money.
3: So would that be implying that you didn't actually regret it?
2: I guess I didn't regret enough to change it but I did regret enough that I was like let me clear the air that it wasn't what I implied that it was I knew that that was going to be a clickable thing and I chose to do it but it wasn't big enough in my head in my moral fiber to say just take that down because I also was dead set on making a video every single day for a a year that was my promise and I can't take down one I've never missed a day I'm not going to take it down it was me 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 this is going to affect me it all has to do with I wanted the attention that it was giving me I absolutely did.
3: When you say you wanted the attention, you know, my first thought then is that you enjoyed the attention from content heavily laden. I mean, that is what was happening. Both of your channels.
2: You're spot on with how you're phrasing it. At the time, I didn't put A to B in my head because I had once again during that time just started making excuses for myself because things had become so normalized in that era and in that group of people I was with. If I had sat down and really thought, do you know what you did? Do you know what you posted? Do you know what kind of people are, can you visualize who's watching this? Can you? I didn't do that. And I didn't care enough at the time to sit down and really give myself a hard look in the mirror. And I just didn't do it. And I look back now, I'm like, God, I, I did that. I absolutely did that. When fame hits and notoriety hits, a lot of people, and I don't wanna say all people, but a lot of people tend to disregard their moral standards in a way that before fame it wasn't a thing for them.
3: I think there there is uh, actually a saying something along the lines of success wealth doesn't necessarily change you it just magnifies what you already were. Sure. Was there a part of you that was already like that that already even though you said I would never do that but could Mm -hmm. it have just been magnifying something that was already there with you?
2: I've had a lot of issues Uh, with the way I was raised it's embarrassing to say out loud but I always made jokes about it to my friends it was like the known thing and it would get people to laugh and I liked that I liked that they were laughing and I liked that I was turning something that I was embarrassed about into something that was funny and somewhat validating in a way and so it makes sense psychologically that I would take that next step if I get a lot of eyeballs on me that the kind of things I would joke about with my friends probably is gonna start popping up in my content as well and as much as I want to say I had no malicious intent, I didn't try to do anything, sometimes just the fact that you you got an elephant in the room and you're just going to turn around and act like it's not there is doing just as much damage as when you're, damage as when you're intentionally doing something with that purpose.
3: Even beyond the content, uh, you know, we talk about how this normalizes things. Uh, And you've talked about how it it was normalized. It became normalized for you uh, Mm -hmm. to do content like this. So now, you know, the concern is, you know, the the cheese ball skit on the Miranda Sings tour in front of, I don't know, thousands of people. And then we see clips of you participating in that same skit. Mm -hmm. We can speak to it being normalized for you, but I think we need to speak to this being normalized on a massive scale in a way that we haven't Seen often when we're talking about the massive scale of celebrity that particularly Colleen had and then you Coming along and participating in that
2: Mm -hmm. it I mean it goes back to everything I'm saying that I Didn't have a backbone and I just went with it. It was it's very well known and this does not eradicate me from anything but it's just well known in that group that one person was creating that show and one person was creating the bits and you don't challenge it because she's the successful one. She's the one that rose to the top. And how dare you tell her how to do what she knows how to do best. I didn't want to ruffle her feathers about that. I, there was a lot of things over those years that I just stopped complaining about, just stopped making an issue about because it never got me anywhere. It only made things more tense. And so I did the cowardly thing and just went with it. Not thinking, but what is this doing to them? And how are they perceiving that? This is like, it's all, everyone's in on it and it's going over their heads. I kept convincing myself, this goes over their head. This like, they don't get that the cheese balls and reaching in means X, Y, and Z. I mean, it's,
3: you know, it's the the age old skit uh, that we've, you know, seen those old video clips of a guy who's got candy in his pocket. There's just no world I can get to thinking that that was something that an adult came up with and another adult co-signed, you co-signing, participating in Mm -hmm. it the the tour managers co-signing on it the venue co-signing i mean every adult in the room it's-
0: i think it's interesting that he says that the cheese ball skit and other kind of sexual innuendo in the content that part of how he was justifying it was to say that it was just going over the kids heads and swoop pushes back on that and it's like well, really because it it seems like It's a joke told by adults that's inappropriate no matter what. And at the same time, isn't that also just exactly how all of, like all of our TV growing up was, like everything on Nickelodeon, everything on Cartoon Network. And I love those shows, but there was so much innuendo and there still is so much innuendo in so much children's TV Mm-hmm. Where I can see how he would think that I read myself reading the cheese balls kit. I'm like, gross. That's gross. But like, um, you could you could have the same reaction to something in like Rocco's Modern Life, or to one of those horrendous like feet scenes in a Nickelodeon like yeah of one show or something. Like there yeah. were really inappropriate things in a lot of children's TV so I kind of get that I kind of see it
1: and that's also Colleen's excuse and has been Colleen's excuse the whole time for the type of humor that she markets to children like she sort of hides behind this whole oh, my comedy is for everyone and the things that are a little more risque kids won't even understand and it's Maybe that's true for some kids, but also your content is made for kids. So why even bother having content that would go over their heads? Why would you even do that?
0: Yeah. And it's like the, and then she, I think she had said at some point, and the idea is it's for everyone therefore. So the parents can also have fun, but that's not really how it works. Really. It's like these adults in power are, just abusing their platforms and uh, it's gross um what was i gonna say too sorry i
1: wanted to think about
0: something um oh the other thing i wanted to say was uh mickey mouse has ties to blackface minstrel street minstrelsy so you know it goes it runs deep
1: (laughs) yeah
3: yeah. I want to ask, where are the adults? Because apparently no one wants to act like one.
2: The adults are everywhere. They're everywhere. And they're but... not doing anything. Right,
3: right. And
2: I know I'm the one in the hot seat, and that's fine. You can direct it to me, and that's totally OK. I'm not going to shift on that. But just hearing you list that, the tech crew, the, the people at the venue, the adults doing tickets, managers, stage managers, her parents were at so many shows, me, Corey. No one's saying don't do it. Nobody is. And it's being paraded around like it's okay.
3: Like, like more than okay because you're monetizing this too.
2: Sure. So it's someone's paying for them to even be there. And she, she knew that I didn't like that part. But that again, that doesn't change that mm-hmm. what the outcome was. Mm-hmm. When you're along the ride with her, don't, don't rock the boat, go with it.
3: There is something that we found, uh, a thread on the Snark Reddit, referring to an old vlog. Specifically, the vlog allegedly has you discussing you writing some of the material. So we were wondering if this is true, if you did write any of the Miranda Sings material.
4: No, 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 no. Uh, the audacity that I would even think that I could lend an idea to her. No, she didn't take my ideas, and it wasn't like we all sat there and I was like, let's brainstorm and let's come up with some concepts and some bits. I mean, she sure as heck never wanted my input. She'd ask Corey, she would ask Christopher. I never got the sense that she respected me enough to contribute those things. I've seen people say that, like, oh, Josh needs to answer for writing some of this material. I'm like, well, I didn't write that. I participated in things that I'm like, oh, that's cringy, shouldn't have done that. That's gross. But I didn't write it. That is just, it never happened.
3: I wanted to take this time to ask Joshua about one of Colleen's most front-facing victims, Becky. For those of you who don't know, Becky was somebody who was called on stage to a Miranda Sings show for the yoga challenge, an event that ended up with her in a vulnerable position on stage. Likely, over the years, there have been many Beckys. And I know Becky's story happened after Joshua left the picture, but I wanted to ask him about the bit from the show in interest of getting to the bottom of this for her and for all of the other Beckys that there have been over the years. There's a spectrum of opinions about this stuff in general, but on a more, probably more critical take, I'll put it, is it just generally kind of looks like you guys were willing to sell them for a buck. I think that's what has really disturbed people about this whole story and why this has become an international story now, Mm -hmm. and everything that's been happening with Colleen and her entire tour being canceled now. I'm guessing the venues are the ones who stepped in to cancel it. I don't presume that Colleen was the one who did, but you know, I think about uh, one victim in particular in this story, Becky, uh, Mm. who was brought on stage in a romper and was put in the yoga bit that happened and and you know when I think about her story and what she went through and then to hear her story and to speak with her I'm curious to know you have posted some apologies and you have uh, on Twitter you've made some statements saying that you support their feelings are valid and and all of that and I'm just kind of curious as someone who very openly participated in those shows I'm wondering what you would think Becky might feel when you're now saying your feelings are valid
2: someone should have been protecting them. And I could have been one of those people.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. and I didn't do it. And the more that comes out, the more that I feel sick to my stomach, the more I think you had an opportunity, you had many opportunities. And just because bad things were happening behind the scenes does not mean it's okay for you to be complicit in these situations and even participate in these situations. So to anyone that's watching this, just like I said on Twitter, but I mean it as deeply as I can, you're not at fault. It was not your fault. You did not deserve it. You should have never been in that situation. You should have always been protected, and you should have always had people to step in and and oversee and make judgment calls, and none of us did.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And now there are repercussions, and my words are only words, and I know that, but I don't know how else to at least start to say, I see you. I wish I could strong-arm myself back into that moment and change it, and I'm ashamed that I didn't do anything significant enough that would have resulted in them not experiencing what they're experiencing now. And then after the show, we did meet and greets and I hung around with the parents most of the time Mm -hmm. while they were all meeting her. And we would joke with the parents and they would joke back. And again, I'd walk away thinking, you know, there's nothing wrong, we're fine. Mm -hmm. And it's not.
3: Now, it was about this point that Joshua brought up someone completely on his own that I hadn't been planning on asking him about, uh, Jojo Siwa. A former reality star made uh, famous in her appearances on the show Dance Moms before transitioning to a career on YouTube. Uh, There's a lot of hushed discussion online about Jojo Siwa's relationship with the Ballinger family. Now, Jojo has not come forward either negatively or positively about her experiences, but for context, she has been
0: that's so funny. Jojo Siwa came up in this interview. And yeah, Swoop says she has not come out negatively or positively, but oops, she then talked on an interview.
1: Yeah.
0: Negatively about the victims of the situation. So that's and I haven't it actually caught up.
1: Terrible.
0: Yeah. Are you caught up on that? I haven't actually caught up on like what the fallout was of that, except for obviously no JoJo.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to tell you i haven't seen the fallout of it but the timing of the interview she gave was unfortunate for the release of this so that sucks
0: yeah and she seems uninformed about like the surrounding situation like she might have been intentionally not paying attention or something as if as, you know out of deference to colleen but anyway interesting that she came up in this too
3: collaborator with colleen ballinger her sister rachel ballinger and joshua david evans at multiple points in her life and to this day remains public friends with at least rachel ballinger from what we can tell but after the colleen and josh divorce jojo initially took josh's side and continued to collaborate with him for at least a year following the divorce before the two had an undiscussed falling out that led to her becoming closer to the ballingers
2: there's a situation with jojo see what that Mm -hmm. i walked away from because it was starting to get that way and i was being pressured to continue pulling her over to my side and I flat out said I will not this is after the divorce so mm-hmm, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm starting to like snap out of it mm-hmm. right and to the people that were like you need to reach out to Jojo because she was very much you know a fan of you and favored you mm-hmm. but the Ballinger's are trying to get to her and bring her yeah, over we
3: noticed that there was a shift with her that's in her engagement or interaction with you
2: the reason why that happened was because when I was on the telephone and I won't name names they're like if I were you, you should text her back, call her, let her know, DM her that you still want to be in her life. And I said on the phone, I said, I'm not about to try to navigate control over who she likes. It's weird. And mm-hmm. I will not do it. And that was one of the first times that post my involvement, I got to make a decision on my own. I knew I could continue being close with Jojo and I am not going to go down that road. So she's going
0: that's so interesting. So he says he made a conscious choice to not continue trying to make sure Jojo wasn't like taken over to the Battlinger's side. And it seems like she then was. But the other just really awful thing is that she Jojo in her interview where she talks about this is like, Oh yeah, I met Colleen when I was I haven't watched it in the last few days, but like she was a young, preteen, like almost around Adam's age at the time that they met. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is creepy and it and it seems like that was that was josh's first moment he says of taking back enough power to say no i'm not going to continue pursuing a relationship with somebody i met who was underage in this whole situation that's so creepy
2: yeah i have to think i'm a person because i'm not going to engage anymore and i'm not going to try to sway her over to liking me and believing me and not believing them and then it happened i watched it unfold mm-hmm and the moment she even went on a podcast with Rachel, I believe, she even said, Oh, yeah, for that year, I didn't talk to you guys because I was, y- y'all were mad at me because I was, you know, hanging out with Josh or whatever. I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing. I got tweeted that information and I thought, well, okay. Everything I thought was going to happen did happen. And at least I can look at this situation, this one thing, and be like, You did the right thing. You could be doing what I think they have done with her for years now, is to take that name and take that involvement and benefit from it which is something I used to be a part of. Mm-hmm. When I have opportunities to do the right thing, I want to take them and do them. It doesn't erase things, but it, it's the bare minimum of what I could start doing. Mm-hmm. And I could have kept doing that. And I just decided to walk away. <laughs>
3: Now, the topic of racism, unfortunately, is part of the story when it comes to the Colleen Ballinger universe. We've seen many video clips of Colleen as Miranda Sings mocking and belittling people of color, asking if black people speak English, and, of course, the blackface-greenface scandal in the middle of this current story breaking. Joshua had also participated in content considered racially insensitive, so, as you might have guessed, I confronted him about it. And just a reminder, there will not be anything graphic played in regards to this. I'm just going to very briefly address just one other piece of content uh, that is... Unfortunately, out in the world, Um, you, Colleen, and Rachel made a music video called Generic Generic Rap Rap Song. Yes, where, unfortunately, the three of you dress in very offensive, racially insensitive, stereotyping outfits, Mm -hmm. and the entire song is mocking rap and hip-hop, which, of course, is quite central to the Black community Mm -hmm. culturally. You've said that you've learned taking accountability for things. Yeah. Why is that video still up?
2: It's on my old channel that I do not have the password for anymore. That's on a channel called JoshuaD84, which was my first channel. I mean, at this point, it's uh, it's like 15 years old. But yeah, if I could access it, I would would take it down right now. I absolutely understand why it is offensive. And I thought we were teetering on the line of just commenting on how a rap song is created and the type of things that you hear in a rap song. And I was very insensitive, not even understanding, I wouldn't even call it microaggressions, I would call it aggressions, if that's how you phrase it. We generally just call it racist. Sure, racist, yep. Um, Where I'm from, I was taught a mentality, whether I was aware of it or not. And I've had to go through a lot of growing pains through seasons of life where I had to unlearn a lot of things, unlearn a lot of things I thought was funny to talk about, jokes I would make about other types of communities and changing my perspective, changing uh, what I think is okay and what's not okay. And I made excuses in my head thinking, I'm not talking about black people, I'm talking about anybody in the rap game, because there's, a, there, you know, Eminem and all those people back then, that it doesn't matter, that that's how I justified it in my head back then. I see it now, and I think there's only one way to interpret that song, and I thought it was funny, and it's not funny. I want to take full accountability. I didn't write the whole thing, but it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Uh, we've all decided on it we all filmed it we all recorded it we we posted it
3: i think once you put the do rag on you're
2: pretty committed to yeah to the cause there yeah sure in those years i've had to face why did i think that was okay mm. why did i think that was funny why did i think you know when you think oh but snl they'd make a sketch like that and mad tv would make a sketch like that and that's the content i've watched and i you know you start to think that's okay doesn't mean it's okay you don't like my answer
3: no no it's it's i mean your answer is your answer. I just, you know, I'm thinking about no, when that's people, your
2: response to the answer.
3: No, no, I'm just thinking about when people say like, Oh, okay. so-and-so did it. So-and-so did it. And it's like, well, that was racist and that was racist. Yeah. And we're just apparently people didn't want to pay attention to the fact that this is really harmful to marginalized communities. Absolutely. And it always has been since the dawn of time. So yeah. anyways, it's not something that I wanted to like, just really dig about. into, but I just was, you know, I see this and I'm like, He's talking about accountability. Why is this still up? And then you say you don't have access to the channel. So it gives more context to the thing. Sure. Um, but hopefully uh, you've learned some things since then. I would hope
2: so. Um, I would hope so. Because, you know, when you hear people be like, I have black friends, so I'm not racist. Mm-hmm. I, even I, I mean, I roll my eyes at that. I'm aware. And even though I'm different now, yeah, it's just a stain in my life that I have to live with, regardless of how I feel now.
0: Okay, I definitely want to just pause after that and I want to, because he's talking about this generic rap song and just racism in the content and I'm very interested in what you think. I also want to talk about the blackface greenface thing. <clears throat>
1: um, I mean, I appreciate his answer to her questions a lot more than a lot of other YouTubers that have participated in that kind of content because it was just the time it was just you know five years ago it was just different times back then he didn't pull that bullshit which was nice um but she makes a great point that no matter who else was doing it no matter what the time was it was always racist and it was always hurtful and i'm so happy she called that out and i hope he really let
0: that sink in yeah I really love her response in that exchange I love that they are sitting in that in that discomfort and yeah um what do I want say And I think it is a really good point because it is it is easy to feel like, okay, it's normalized and justified or or something is because it was in a lot of TV because he's totally right that like SNL would absolutely do a sketch like that. But, you know, who uh, even is an SNL person? Dear God. You're the Lonely Island. Like, Lonely Island is not going to sit down with Swoop and talk about their racism or something. Um, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. So, again, like, I've never seen, like, it, this is kind of like you want just more representation of people actually talking like this, but you don't see it. So, this is very interesting for that reason. But I wanted to also just mention the blackface, greenface thing, because when that was going down, I was commenting on it and it bothered me so much because it got used as like a scandal of when, of people going to PC with the whole thing and trying to over police her act and how it was actually green face from an alphabet skit or something from a wicked skit. But no, like the whole thing is how the character is oblivious. And even without seeing the show beginning to end, I have to guess she's not a stupid person. She knew that it that there was paint on her face she's aware of blackface (laughs) because it's all over her act right i i cannot even abide this idea that it was like an accidental blackface or not even an accident it was just a green face instead from alpha but like if it was green face it was a play on the idea that the character doesn't understand which was intentional so that always has annoyed me because then it got like used <laughs> as like uh, oh, everyone's going too far with the accusations. And and I don't think so even.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: All right. Can we move on.
5: I am Johnny Silvestri.
3: On June 7th, 2023.
0: Sorry, that was a Johnny Silvestri jump scare. (laughs) It's like (laughs) a changing scene and then just like the the (laughs) jack-o'-lantern face. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay.
3: A man named Jonathan Silvestri took to Twitter to accuse Josh of harming him. As the Clean Ballinger story blew up.
0: I love it. This is so insistent. A man named Jonathan Silvestri. just a man named
1: Jonathan. very intentional very intentional about adultifying him because it's he so, is yeah. an adult and not a child victim
0: well and it really highlights like what that name does to johnny johnny yeah
3: on social media, Johnny tweeted allegations of varying severity at Joshua hundreds of times in around two months and shared his allegations on the H3 podcast, the Do We Know Them podcast with Lily and Jesse, and with me in a number of interviews. If you've seen part three, you know how that turned out for him. Now, this interview with Joshua took place on July 21st, just one day after my team and I had discovered John may have doctored evidence while also admitting to me that John Silvestri didn't want to take accountability publicly for his role in group chats that he had been in. Now, I'm not going to lie. I had a few doubts about about John considering we had already clocked a number of inconsistencies in his timeline but that double whammy from the day before my interview with Josh uh, completely shifted the energy that I had in even asking Joshua about John. Now we already knew that John had lied about his age. We already knew that his parents had been around John and Joshua practically every time they were together and even encouraged their limited interactions and at this point we already knew that John had a peculiar trend of describing his mentorship of fans the same way that he described Joshua allegedly mentoring him. That somehow Josh's mentorship was evil But John's was honorable. But regardless, I didn't tell Joshua about any of our findings in order to keep the investigation clean. Remember, at the time of this interview, we were still piecing together who to believe and on what. So I wanted to see if the way Joshua described the events to us matched what we had found. And to my team's utter surprise, it did. We're going to have to talk about Johnny Silvestri. Uh, Now, a lot of the public believes that Johnny is the reason why you have been brought back into this whole story. Uh, as you know, in full disclosure, I have uh, done a six-hour interview with Johnny, uh, which I have not shared the details with you. I don't know about it. It's no secret Johnny has accused you of some very serious allegations. Uh, we're going to get to specifics, uh, but I do want to start just in general right now. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that characterization of you?
2: No. Not at all. It's just a heavy thing to throw out. I know my intent. I know who I am. I've made mistakes, but, but I also don't know if I believe that he even thinks that. That he thinks... That I'm those things. Yeah.
3: Do you feel like he's just making these claims, uh, not believing them, and that they're lies? Or what do you mean by that? No, I
2: think he, he takes fragments of truth that are real, and he amplifies them, almost identically to how Colleen did the same thing behind the scenes, where she would take little fragments of truth. And this is what I've seen with receipts little fragments of truth and then expand on them to make them massive and that
0: and it's so telling that the way he describes johnny is so different from how he's talked about everything else that he's taking accountability for which again could be intentional because he's aware that he's being perceived here right but to just totally be like no johnny is like colleen in that they both take little pieces of truth and stretch them into a whole other story like that is so strikingly different from the way he's taking accountability for these other things
2: Mm -hmm. just the narrative that's believed so seeing him take the the relationship that we had and to articulate it in this way while leaving out so much context and and embellishing and misleading i've taken it so much over the last six or seven years i've dealt with it and i don't want this the narrative taken from me again the story of what happened is not the way he's portraying it and I don't think he I don't know I can't speak for him but I think there's a part of him that knows what he's doing and if he's not talking about me anymore then what does he have left to bring people their eyeballs over to him because the things that he's claiming is just it's just wildly misleading and damning and very hurtful when I never had any ill will towards him the things he says is just it's heartbreaking because it's not what I thought he was it's not what I thought he was about
3: when you say that you think that he knows what he's doing. Do you think that he is making these allegations out of malicious intent, or what do you mean by that when you say he knows what he's doing?
2: At first, I didn't think that. That's why I wrote to him privately when I got wind that he was feeling hurt, so I reached out. And then the way he has responded to that and how it has progressively gotten more and more hateful, spiteful, embellished, everything I do or say, he somehow makes it as, like, a slam against him when it had nothing to do with him. And it's hard for me not to see the parallels. There are parallels between me and him and Adam and Colleen, there are, but they're worlds apart.
3: What parallels would you say exist?
2: So the parallels uh, just with the re- relationship is, I gave him my phone number, and then he ran an account for me. To me, that's where the parallel stops. And even the account that he's talking about, he's comparing it to something that is, it's a false equivalency, it's not the same and he wants it to be the same. He wants to project that it's the same, and it's just not. Now,
3: just to recap a bit from part three, one of the things that I discovered in the seven and a half combined hours in speaking with John Silvestri is that in his words, John and his parents went on a family trip to a show in New York City, where they had a sort of unofficial meet and greet to meet Colleen and Joshua alongside a number of Colleen fans. In my conversations with Joshua, I discovered that Johnny tweeted and spoke often in these chats about how he was depressed and having trouble in school, and Josh believed that John was in need of guidance. And at the meet and greet, Johnny handed them a paper crown he had won from the show to be. Autographed. Colleen signed it, and then Joshua signed, and then Joshua proceeded to put his phone number on the crown as well. But Johnny and Joshua have expressed that this was meant as some kind of misguided attempt at Joshua becoming a mentor. And I agree with both of them. It's very inappropriate, except it's also worth noting that not only were Johnny's parents there for this, according to John, they knew and they approved of this because Johnny was an aspiring YouTuber. To quote adult Johnny about this, his parents thought he was quote, doing the damn thing and that maybe their son was going to make something of himself on YouTube.
5: And I think in their minds, they were just like, holy shit, like, our kid's doing the damn thing. Okay, so maybe school didn't work out for him, but like maybe he's meant for something. Maybe he's gonna do something. Maybe Josh can be a mentor.
2: For him to take it and just run so far with it, it's hard to think he has good intentions. It's hard to think that he is truly believing this to his heart and feels hurt and wants retribution or something. To me, it, when I said to him privately, this is getting vindictive, and then he took that and said, how dare you call me vindictive? Mm-hmm. I'm like, read the whole thing, man. I didn't say you are a vindictive person. This situation starts to feel vindictive. And I stand by that. It, it Read anything he's saying. It's a lot to deal with. So as far as the parallel with our relationship with me and him and Adam and Colleen, yeah, I was the influencer, he was the fan. I handed him an account that had barely any followers that I did not take seriously, that I was not making money off of, that I never intended to make money off of. I didn't want to do it anymore. He already had an account that was identical, identical to the one I had. And I thought, I don't care enough to keep up with this. I really don't.
3: We're specifically talking about the Sarah Diculous account. I,
2: I had a character called Sarah Diculous, yes. an noc- obnoxious blonde who just is entitled. That's the whole spiel. And I had a Twitter account where I would tweet as her. I think it has maybe 2,000 and something followers mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. It was for a season and it was fun to do, but it just wasn't something I wanted to continue. But I saw his, well, I didn't know it was his Twitter at first. I saw a, another account that was very similar with you know the phrasing just a little bit different in the title. And the same things that, that were being tweeted from that fake account was very similar to mine. And so I found out who it was. I didn't think it was him at first. I thought it was another mutual, but I reached out and she said, no, it's not me, it's actually Johnny. I'm like, oh, well, me and Johnny are cool. I'll just, I'm just gonna throw it over to Johnny. And I reached out and said, do you wanna run this thing?
3: He did provide me uh, with a a screenshot of your text exchange about that. But uh, one of the questions, you know, that comes anytime a screenshot is presented is what is the context, you know, that's Before before and after that we can't see.
2: All I remember is finding out that it was him and asking him but I don't remember the nuances of what we really talked about. Okay. Again, it was it was so many years ago, it's hard for me to recollect.
3: Were you continuing to tweet from that account at the same time that he was, or did he take it over entirely? I think there work? were
2: times that I still would hop in okay. and tweet, and then eventually, by like 2015, mm-hmm. just stopped looking at it, stopped logging in, mm-hmm. stopped searching for it, mm-hmm. stopped engaging, because it, it didn't hold a lot of weight for me because it wasn't something I wanted to continue. That's why it felt like not a big deal because I wasn't making money from it and it was never a promise of you do this and you'll make money. It was never that type of thing. It was to me, I I can understand his point of view where it's like you have uh, maybe your favorite influencer saying, do you want to run something that I created? And that's a big deal. I see that, I get that. And so I don't want to take that from him. That's how it felt for him. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, you mentioned the parallels Mm -hmm. With Colleen's relationship with Adam and him taking over the Miranda Sings Twitter account, she was kind of dangling over his head Trial like, period. "You'll you'll get a job. If you do good here, then I will hire you officially." And so she has Adam doing essentially free labor.
2: I don't I don't want to call it payment, but I was happy to say, "Listen, dude, if this is something you want to like get into content creation, you know, I'll, I'm going to promote you on my page. I'm going to put you as one of my people. You know, go follow these guys mm-hmm. too."
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I meant that. I I was rooting for him, but it wasn't like do this and I'll give you that. It was never that type of a thing. There was no exchange. There was no promise. I mean, of course, like he brings up that I promised him up and down. If I made it big, I'd bring him with me. Mm
5: -hmm. This was my ticket to success, my ticket to happiness. No one could take it away from me. You can ask anybody. He would be like, oh, yeah, me and Johnny, we're going to take over the world. We're going to make it big together someday.
2: Johnny, my whole world and career crashed to the ground. Where was I going to take you? What did you expect me to do? There was nothing to take you to. I lost everything. So when he keeps saying that as if it's like a a weapon for him to use, it's like, well, why don't you include the rest of it?
3: He's referred to that uh, in an interview with me as you selling him a fantasy. And he used that word quite a number of times. Also this fantasy of being uh, kind of the bigger brother to him. You're Mm going to take him under his wing and whatnot. And that's something that he's characterized quite often. Do you agree with that? Were you making those promises? Was there a
2: fantasy? To me, there was nothing uh misleading about what I was saying there was nothing inauthentic about what I was saying everything I said to him about those things I meant those things when I said oh, I'm like a, you're like a little bro and I'm I'm a big bro I meant that I grew up in a culture where I had older people in a youth group like I was a big christian upbringing I had older people in their 20s as mentors and it was very normal for me because my father and I it, it was we were on such bad terms and he was incredibly abusive. I needed somebody and I had it with the church people so when I saw Johnny expressed to me, I have nobody. How did you make it out of high school? I don't have any friends. My heart went out to him. And so.
0: Okay, to me, this is the key to this character. He brings up that he had mentors in church. It's totally a church thing. Nobody ever taught anybody in church how to be good boundaries mentor. Right. And that's that is the problem he he sounds like he had some difficulty with his family he found comfort in those relationships in his church the boundaries have never been taught in those kinds of dynamics and it didn't transfer well right
2: That's why, to me, it didn't feel like a wrong thing to be like, I'll be someone that you can reach out to. Now, did that mean I'm going to talk to you every single day and we're going to be on the phone and I'm going to have check-ins with you? It was never like that. The reason why I keep saying internet, Big Brother, when I talk about it sometimes is because that puts a distance that I was very aware of and I was very conscious of.
3: Now, as a reminder, John's correspondence with Joshua online began with him directly telling Joshua that he was feeling alone, depressed, and having trouble in school. This is an important context in understanding this story in general.
2: I mean, I, I worried about him look on his face when I first started getting to like see him interact I just felt really not super protective but protective enough that like something in me wanted to like lend a hand
3: when did you when did you first meet Johnny and kind of just kind of walk me through the the story of how you meet Johnny and how your relationship developed
2: they got wind that we were gonna be in New York for a Miranda show it's all kind of blurry for me because it was so long ago but I remember there being a handful of, of people with him it wasn't just him, and we were all talking. We were all like, oh my God, yeah, hey, so nice to meet you in person. I don't, he always had this kind of presence that seemed, I say, I feel bad saying this. He just, it seemed sad, he just seemed sad to me. And I remembered how it felt with my situation, and it broke my heart, and I i made a mistake. And while we were giving autographs, which was a new thing for me, because YouTube, at that point, I wanna make that clear, YouTube wasn't my job then. I would To me, that's why it's like, it wasn't this weird, influencer, fan dynamic. I had other jobs, not YouTube. So it really, for me, felt like, oh, this is kind of like the youth group thing. I'm the older one now. I want to lend a hand out to him. That's what happened for me, not I'm this big person that everyone knows. The fact that they even wanted my signature was new. There, there
3: was still a power dynamic there, of course, you know, because you're attached to one of his idols. You become an idol as well, just kind of because you're associated with Colleen. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear what you're saying, that YouTube wasn't your job then, there's still going to be that element. I understood the dynamic there.
2: Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm just the Joe Schmo, and that's all I am. I know I am, by association, part of this growing thing at the time. All I saw was someone that I felt my heart go out to, and that was it.
3: I, I think you were about to touch upon, but Johnny has obviously said publicly uh, that when he met you in New York, mm-hmm. uh, he was getting autographs from everyone. It was Colleen. Colleen is Miranda and you, mm-hmm. but you Instead of just giving him your autograph, you also gave him your phone number. hmm I sure did. Why did you do this? Because you gave him your number.
2: The same reason why my mentors growing up had my number, and I I was introduced to that idea as like there's a there are boundaries. You don't over you don't
0: like right there. She asked, "Why did you give Johnny your number?" and he says the same reason the mentors in my youth group had my number and that makes complete sense to me Hmm. and it's not right like I don't like I, I think there should be a lot more just hopefully churches do that better
1: now I have no idea I mean boundaries aren't really a thing in churches historically boundaries are just not taught in churches and they're spe- ah. they're specifically not taught to the men folk in the church
0: no they're not not at all so you could just see exactly where this comes from which doesn't make it right but just wow i've never seen him, like talk about it like this okay
2: i call this older guy at all hours of the night you use it if things are bad with your dad use it i didn't know the way he had painted it to me it was like no one was there for him he didn't have anybody he didn't have any friends and he didn't feel like he connected to anybody and i felt terrible for him and it was a mistake to give him my number i understand that now but my intent was to me it never felt creepy i never felt like i wanted to get something from him i felt almost responsible like i should do this i should help him out thinking that we're going to understand boundaries and it's not going to be some consistent all the time thing to me it was just like a knee jerk this is what you do like does he have anybody and so I just thought what if no one else reaches out to him what if this is it and I don't want to sound dramatic but that's really how I felt I thought this guy needs somebody at least to say I I believe in you I think you're gonna do great things
3: you know obviously the public is seeing you sort of unsolicited giving your phone numbers can you understand why people have so many questions around that
2: yeah I can understand how people will look at it now and be like why would Josh do that because Josh at that time thought, I'm doing a good thing, and that's what good people do. And in retrospect, it's like, okay. That set the course. That became increasingly aggressive or to the point where I didn't know how to interact.
3: What do you mean by aggressive?
2: He would start to show up at shows. Of course I wanted people to come to shows, but most of the time it wasn't even my show. At first it was felt normal and chill to have, like, oh, that's Johnny. He's at the show. That's my boy. That's my little bro. What's up, dude? No, I'll hang over in the side where everyone else is here. But yeah, dude, how's life? What's going on? I didn't know that that was going to be time and time and time again, that he would continuously show up at these shows.
3: You characterize this as aggressive. Was this something... Were you directly inviting him? Like, was he inviting himself? Were you inviting him? Was it a mixture?
2: I want to be fair. Mm -hmm. Going back through my Twitter DMs, Mm -hmm. it shows that it's far more heavier on his side. I need to talk to you, we need to talk, let's talk, call me or can I call you? I'm coming to your show and or when is your show and I'm coming, I was going to surprise you. Like it was not me saying, you got to come to my show, you have to come to my show, please come to every show that I will be a part of. And when I started getting those messages, if if you look at those receipts, you'll see I don't respond because I don't, I didn't know how to respond anymore. Because at that point, I'm like, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I gave him the number, I engaged. But now it feels like I am, I've bitten off more than I can chew.
3: So I mentioned earlier that just one day before this interview, we discovered that Johnny and Joshua did not send identical Twitter DM receipts and that July 20th, 2023 was the day we believe we received doctored evidence from Johnny Silvestri. What I don't think I mentioned yet is that Joshua did not know about this at all. In hindsight, when Joshua is talking about all of this and his complete confusion on what communicating with Johnny back then was even like, I cannot even imagine how frustrating it must have been to discover that Johnny had deleted so many of the DMs he had sent to Joshua and then tried to pass it off as, legitimate representation to us of how johnny and joshua spoke back then i want to touch upon really quick uh coming back to when you gave him your phone number do Mm -hmm. you recall if his parents were there
2: i remember off to the side there were a group of adults i don't remember every interaction i had in that moment on the streets of new york
3: well he he did share with me in an interview that his parents were there
2: i feel like i acknowledged his father do i remember going up to them and knowing me i'm a i'm a chatty guy you know, it wouldn't surprise me if I walked over and introduced myself to them as well. I just don't remember if I did that in that moment.
3: After you gave him your phone number, do you? can you give me an idea of how often you and Johnny would talk?
2: It was not incredibly consistent. To me, it happened in spurts. I do remember not always responding to certain things, but then I would chime in. And and then, I,
3: would this span, like, text messages on the phone? Were there phone calls? Was it Twitter? Was It was it...
2: mainly... It was never phone calls it was never like we're on the phone just chatting the night away mm-hmm. that was never a thing i what i remember was fragmented amounts and it wasn't like every single day we're tweeting about life and what's going on at school today and it was never like that so we
3: know about joshua and johnny's experiences on tiny chat but i was curious given johnny's dodgy answers about how they allegedly spent time alone what joshua had to say about the concept of the two of them spending time alone <laughs> I'm curious to know if you have an idea of how many times you hung out with Johnny in any capacity in person.
2: Probably anywhere from, I've probably seen him in person six, seven, eight times to my recollection.
3: Were any of those times alone?
2: Every single time I was ever around him, there were other people around. It was never, we're off. On some secluded place, just us. That was never a situation. It was either in public where hundreds of people were around, or it was his family is right there. The the one time that I hung out with his family. So or shows like Meet and Greets. Right.
3: So I wanna talk about the auto show. Mm-hmm. Johnny has referred to this him coming to the auto show and he refers to having a coffee date with you. Okay. Uh, and that's how he Characterized it to me, um, a coffee date. We had a little
5: coffee date when he worked at the auto show.
3: Uh, he said that he, you know this happened during the Chicago auto show that you were working, um, where you guys also created some content together. Mm-hmm. Uh, his family was there. Mm-hmm. You had a dinner with his family. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you just tell me about this entire interaction with this auto show? How did he come to be there? How did his family come to be there? And what happened?
2: I remember being on the auto show floor where I was presenting the Chevy Cruze, I recognized his sister walking around. And I was like, oh, hey. And at the time, I believe his sister was like in college or getting into college. And Mm. I'm like, what are you doing here? Do you like cars? And I'm sitting there on this rotating thing with a car, talking to her, just like I would talk to anybody coming up Mm. to see the car. And that turned into leading to, well, now Johnny and my family also want to hang out, or they're they're wondering if you can, or they're wondering if there's time. So to. So you you
3: run into his sister first.
2: Well, she yeah. Okay. To my knowledge, I saw her first, and there's there's also a picture on Instagram where mm. we're at the auto show, and it's me and his sister. Yes. And I'm like hiding behind her hair, and that turned into discussions of my family would love to have you over for dinner, and I'm like, well, I don't I don't know, and like I was nervous to be honest mm-hmm. with you, I, I didn't really know them like mm-hmm. super well, but I also knew I'm on this auto show circuit. For months and i eat fast food every night and i all the people in the auto show they go party every night i don't want to do that i don't want to party again hey johnny's cool and his family seems so much like families i grew up around so i was like you know what fine yeah that sounds like a great idea was
3: johnny there when she had invited you to dinner with the family
2: i honestly don't remember I don't remember if he was or was not i do remember talking to him at some point about it to be honest again like i would i'm, I'm trying to fill in gaps in my head right now
3: do you remember having coffee
2: with yeah absolutely mate? yeah tell I did. Me, tell me about that um he wanted to hang out again where were you this was the auto show floor mm-hmm. with the caf not cafeteria it was a food court and i remember him wanting to hang out and i was like well you can come see me on my break but it can't be for too long because i have to get back to work mm-hmm. and i remember We both got a coffee i believe i paid for his coffee and hung out for 15 20 minutes and then i had to go i had to go back to work
3: how do you feel about that being characterized as a quote coffee date
2: it makes me feel weird inside to have anyone think of it that way because to me it was i'm chill with your family we like had a a fun dinner we were together for a couple of hours Mm -hmm. and he wants to hang out again. Okay, like uh, to categorize it as a date feels very misleading and very like I'm gonna paint it in this light mm-hmm. when it was not like that.
3: Okay, can you just briefly tell me about the, the having dinner with Johnny's family?
2: We all sat around the table and had a great meal and got to know each other and talked. And it wasn't like super long. It's not like I was there for four or five, six hours or anything. And then they took me back to the auto show. Okay.
3: So it was a short kind of a short dinner. It was a casual dinner mm-hmm. and we
2: enjoyed our time and. I, I loved like talking to his parents and getting to know their life and hearing about his sister's aspirations and mm-hmm. what she was going towards mm-hmm. and it all felt, I don't know, felt it felt nice to be around a family when I'm constantly on the road.
3: the things that made interviewing John Silvestri so frustrating is that in virtually all of the stories he told me, he claimed back then he was 15 or 17 years old and being directly invited to Joshua's shows across the country while also proving through his own words that this wasn't the case. One of the most perplexing examples of this came when John told me a story about how he flew down to California from Illinois to catch one of Joshua's shows that he claimed Joshua made him go to and how he was allegedly 17 years old and renting a car to do that. To be clear, none of that was true. He was an adult and the invitation John talks about was Joshua promoting a show on Twitter. I want to touch uh upon quickly on the Irvine show, the Shadows tour, the first show that you had of that tour. That happened on May 20th, 2015. That was just a few days before Johnny's birthday on May 24th when he was uh, about to turn 19. Johnny claims that you invited him to the show.
5: He would say stuff to me like, "Oh my god, come to
3: California, uh come to California for my show." And I'd be like, "Are you serious?" And he'd be like, yeah come on down and i'd be like whoa sick uh so he flew out to los angeles rented a car and drove to the show he also has said that uh he had trouble renting the car and that he had messaged both you and colleen kind of conveying that he was stranded and hoping maybe you would come pick him up from irvine and to los angeles Uh, i'm curious do you remember him calling you and did you directly invite him to that show
2: i don't remember him calling me it was our very first show Mm -hmm. we were on edge we were Nervous. Everyone and their brother was coming to that show. Every YouTuber you can think of was at that show. Um, if he did call, and I just don't remember that that was happening. It. I had so many things going on. Tech runs. You know, mm-hmm. making sure everything is set up.
3: Sure, it's 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 a busy it's a busy time. I it's understand. it's a lot. So yeah.
2: if I got a call, I probably was overwhelmed at the time, don't really remember it, Mm -hmm. but I'll take him at his word if he said that's what he experienced and that's what he called. So it wasn't me saying, you gotta come to the show, man, whatever it takes, like, that's not what happened. Mm -hmm.
3: This is the the night that Johnny has stated that he came out to you and he said that you, you responded by saying, quote, that's none of my business. Uh, And when he said that he, he he has expressed that he had told you that he was considering coming out to his parents Mm -hmm. and he has said that you discouraged him from doing so. Is this how you remember that happening?
2: Yeah, it did happen that way. He he said it to me. I was taken aback. I was not expecting that kind of a major life declaration, especially in that dynamic and that situation with what was going on around us. The first response was, "That's not that's not my business. You don't have to tell me that kind of a thing." Um, but then, when it comes to his parents, what he's leaving out is he also expressed immense fear of what his parents would say or do in reaction, and so. Being from the South and knowing how people treat and seeing people being treated a certain way, my first response was if you feel like this is dangerous for you, and if you do it, you might not have a place to sleep at night, and you don't know what's gonna happen, maybe you should wait until you're 18. What he said he was 19?
3: There's been.
2: Because I don't.
3: There's been different ages that have been. That's what I'm like. But when uh, he has said that this happened at the Shadows show, which would have been in 2015. So Mm -hmm. that would have been. That would have put him 18 turning 19. Okay. Uh, at the time so he has said that this is when it happened so i I'm absolutely going off of that yeah sure so he would have been
2: yeah well then about to turn 19. then what i recollect is that he was living with them he was still under that roof mm-hmm. and my response was if you feel like that would mess that up and that you would not have a place to go then my advice is to get on your own two feet and be able to take care of yourself if you don't feel like the response you know them better than anybody else here would know so if you don't think they're gonna receive it well and you, you're afraid of that, then I've seen where it goes sour and they're left on the street and it's real and it's bad. There's it never a thing of don't tell them, cause, like that's not, I don't feel that way, I did not feel that way during that time. So for him to say that I was just like, kind of shoving off and say don't tell them, it's so bad, that's not, that is not what I thought, that's not my tone. If anything, he's picking and choosing parts of it and leaving other parts out. I remember thinking he's afraid of what his parents are gonna say. Or if they're gonna be distraught and it's not gonna end well for him and maybe he doesn't have anywhere to go because he still didn't have a lot of people in his life to my knowledge
3: I'm not gonna provide my thoughts on this mm-hmm. uh, it, he does seem quite hurt and upset feeling like he was discouraged
2: I don't believe him I don't th- I think he knows he knows me for him to say that I discouraged him because I thought it was wrong or there was something wrong with him is absolutely the polar opposite of who I was then, especially who I am now. There's no part of me that would shun him in a way of like, don't you, don't you say that. That was never a part of it. I think he knows that. It feels like a lot of things. He he pulls fragments and he leaves out context. And when you do that, you can string together any type of narrative you want. It's happened to me so many times with the Colleen situation. So it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right For him to twist it without the context of but he also communicated this other thing that changes to me the whole dynamic i feel like it was at the meet and greet there's a lot of things happening and he drops this okay you dropped it i don't know how to take that in this moment i got a whole line of other people waiting and now you're expressing you don't you don't know how it's going to go so to hear him just push that narrative over and over and over feels very dishonest
3: i'm going to leave your words to speak for yourself there because I think that's it's a very obviously a very sensitive subject. Within the same time frame though, uh, a few days later, per what Johnny told me in an interview, uh, he said he received a birthday gift from his family which was a video uh, montage of a bunch of family friends and whatnot wishing him a happy birthday and uh, it included clips of you saying happy birthday to him and Trent Ballinger uh, on Twitter, Johnny has characterized your video clip. He's clipped it out, he's put it on Twitter, and he's characterized it as very creepy, a creepy act.
4: What's up, Johnny? Happy birthday, man. Today's a big day for you. Happy birthday, man. I believe in you, I'm proud of you, and I cannot wait to see what the future holds for Mr. Sylvastri. Sylvestri, Siv to Johnny. What the future holds for Johnny. However, in my interview
3: with him, he told me that and I don't think he's shared this publicly anywhere he told me that his family hounded you to make that video
5: and then even more confusing is that video you see of him wishing me a happy birthday they told me now that they had asked him if he would do it and he said yes absolutely and then they had to hound him and be like dude you said you'd make the video like come on like you're the only person we're waiting on you're not beyonce get on your phone and just say hey johnny happy birthday it doesn't have to be anything extravagant you you said you'd
2: do it i was at
0: I just want to stop on that for a second too, because that whole happy birthday video is really weird. I feel like there was like a high level of pressure on Josh to make a happy birthday video.
1: Hmm. I don't know. It seemed it seemed a little forced.
0: I'm sorry. I don't know what to say about it, but it just seems like, um. I don't know sorry I lost my brain I didn't say anything important at all about the happy birthday video seems creepy as fuck but also it seems like Johnny was like hanging on this every interaction at the time even to the point that his family was pushing for it yeah I wouldn't
1: even in that video I wouldn't characterize Josh as creepy not in that instance I don't know I don't really mean creep. I don't really mean creepy I mean
0: I feel like it's creepy that they were I don't mean that he's creepy I mean that they were like why were they like pushing him so much to do this video and it's I guess because Johnny really really wanted him too but it's just bad boundaries the whole time I don't know the
1: whole time yeah
2: repeatedly, can you send this? But I was asked that question from numerous fans. It's my birthday, can you send me a birthday shout mm-hmm. out? It was, or- it was like cameo, like it, it was something that, yeah, every now and then I would either tweet to people, happy birthday, I heard it's your birthday, or i pull up my phone right then and there and be like, hey, Margaret, I heard it's your birthday. Happy birthday, hope you have a great one. And I remember hearing, hey, it's his birthday, can you, can you add, we're doing this, can you add to it? And I mean, why would I not? For him to just call it creepy, I don't understand what what's creepy about it. Tell me what's creepy.
3: I just, uh, you know, I don't think that he had shared publicly that his family had actually requested it. And I
2: was requested so many different times from different people.
3: Or, sorry, he actually used
2: the word hounded you for it. It feels so out of left pocket. It doesn't feel like, how can you take that where anyone can watch it and then turn around and be like, see how creepy that is? When it's, to me, it's the most innocent, wishing someone a happy birthday.
3: Now, one of the things that has always been perplexing to me about John Sylvester's claims against Joshua was that Joshua ghosted John. It has verifiably been shown untrue, even in the literal sense of the word, for as long as I've known about John's story. Now, Joshua explains what I mean pretty well. I want to move on to the ghosting that he talks about. Uh, Do you know specifically when you stopped speaking to Johnny?
2: The last two months of my marriage, so uh, summertime of 2016, things were rough in my life before everything blew up. And I already started distancing myself from people. I was going through a lot of stuff. I didn't know who to talk to. When I'm sad, depressed, I isolate. When everything happened, my life imploded. My My whole world was destroyed. Mm-hmm. I lost, like I said, I lost a family. I was betrayed by the one person I I wanted to trust the most. I was falling apart. I didn't know what my next step was gonna be. I was thinking I could ask for half of everything, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna give it all to her. And I did do that. And I don't remember half of the people reaching out to me mm-hmm. because I just went into a dark, silent place. And the next thing I can remember that has anything to do with him is seeing him tweeting positively to her. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, I was hurt by that. I was hurt thinking, why are you showing support to someone that you know, if, if you're like my internet little bro, like, what? it feels weird that you're like saying admirable things to this person that wrecked me. And so I didn't confront him. I didn't go off. I wasn't about to be like, you need to come over to my side. How dare you? I don't want to control him. That's the whole thing. He wants to say he was controlled. That's the opposite of what I did. I didn't want to control him. I wanted him to make his own decisions. So to me, he made a decision. And then I made a decision, which was I can't see anything related to her. It hurts Mm -hmm. too bad. So I removed anything that had any type of connection to her,
4: Mm -hmm.
2: especially like on my channel, I featured a lot of her family members. I had to take that off. But then I also took YouTube, like, I just walked away from YouTube for a chunk of time and fell into a deep, dark place.
3: Right, which you you had spoken about uh, earlier.
2: For him to, because he goes on and on and on about this whole ghosting thing. And everyone's like, poor Johnny, poor Johnny, poor Johnny. That was so messed up. I can't believe that happened. And once again, it feels identical to what I went through, where no one gave a about what I was feeling and what was going on with me. Everyone's like, poor Johnny, I can't believe Josh just abandoned you. And I'm like, who do you think you are? My life was wrecked. You think I'm, my first priority is to not talk to my best friends from childhood, which I wasn't doing, or family. I need to come out and be like, I just want to let you know we're cool, bro. That was not in my psyche. Where's the understanding? Where's the, where's the ability at this point, because he's not a baby, he, like where's the part of you in your humanity that goes, he's going through hell. Maybe he needs some time. This ain't about me right now. The way he's depicting, depicting it now, especially all these year, years later, it's right there my life crashed and burned and he's mad that I wasn't like hitting him up and then so he jumps ship and goes over to Colleen and then starts doing tour stuff with her and is still mad and acting like I was some villain ghosting him because I didn't give about him it's just not it's not how it went it's infuriating because it's like once again it doesn't matter about what happened to me everyone else is right everybody else is always right Josh is always the lesser than Mm. it was just that all over again I'm lesser than in every situation. And now, in 2023, I'm dealing with it again. It doesn't matter that I was when my whole life fell apart and I didn't want to live, I didn't respond to Johnny. That's infuriating to me. Where's any ounce of care or consideration of what I was feeling? There isn't any, and now he's weaponizing it. And I have to defend myself all over again, like my heart doesn't matter.
3: If you don't mind, I would like to ask you, and it has to do with Johnny. He acknowledged you being a victim in your relationship with Colleen. And then he went on to say that why didn't you get out of it you must have wanted something you around and found out and and now you're just upset about it
5: at this point i don't care that he was a victim because we're not talking about that story anymore if he wanted to talk about that story he had every opportunity in 2016. he said he was going to do it but he was making an ass out of himself and i think he got embarrassed and he started this new life in georgia i'm no colleen apologist but he actively chose to remain in this relationship he had so many outs he didn't propose for like nine years why did you enter a marriage that was so toxic if you knew it was so bad you must have wanted something out of it and it bit you in the ass so i I truly think it was like he around and found out and now he's just upset about
3: it (laughs) How did that make you feel hearing him say something like
4: that? Uh he's saying the quiet part. You know, he's saying what I think everyone is saying. It didn't feel new to me. It didn't feel like oh my gosh, I can't believe it. it's like, yep, yeah, I heard that. People just don't care how it affects me. I just really started believing that I just didn't matter. I didn't matter. How it affected me doesn't matter, my emotions doesn't matter. Johnny himself said, I don't care. Like, to me, it wasn't like some sword through the chest. It was just kind of like another numbing slap in the face. Another like, yeah, you already know this. You know that you were just this thing. You weren't a person who also has feelings and, and a journey and hopes and dreams and downfalls. Like, cool, you don't like me. I have thought that a lot of people don't like me for a long, long time. And it used to suck my soul dry. And now I have closed myself off and I only truly look for that kind of validation with only a handful if that you have been I don't want to like just kiss up to you but I don't feel like you're in my corner I feel like you are uh you just care about truth and finding what that truth is and presenting that truth but I feel like I have never experienced that presenting the truth has changed a lot for me I just it's one of those things that I just never thought it would happen so thank you for being the only the only person in this whole shenanigan that like made me feel like I was worth it you know, like I, I really appreciate it.
3: Well, you know, as, as I've, I've told you, we just feel like in order to have an accurate story, the responsible thing is to hear from as many of the people involved as possible if they want to speak.
4: I don't want to skew how you're going to edit this or what you're going to show.
3: You can't, so don't worry about that. And also, you know that I will grill you. You know, the truth has a way of showing itself as long as you are willing to take accountability.
0: I just love, again, how he thanks for her for that. And like, she really does provide the space for like the, whatever the actual truth is to come out. And it's so much more beautiful than you can contrive. You cannot make this story up.
1: Right. She's a very responsible documentarian. And it's nice to hear her say in order to put out an accurate story, you have to talk to as many people involved as possible, because that's what someone with integrity does and check the stories for consistency.
0: Uh, And just like leave emotional space. Like I, I feel like she's entirely validating these people's experiences and it's just like amazing to watch, okay.
2: I do not regret caring about him. I do not regret wanting to be a positive force in his life. I regret that me giving my number to him led to a course of events that has spun out of control and the narrative has gone completely haywire. Do I wish I could take back the moment where I gave him the number? I do, I do, because I don't want the pain that he feels to have happened. But I don't think at any point was I using him, manipulating him, getting things from him, promising him all these crazy things. All I did was I cared about him and then I didn't know how to navigate. When this guy kept increasing the interactions between us that started to feel to me, this isn't appropriate, I don't know how to handle this, I don't know what to say. I don't wanna hurt his feelings. He already feels like a a vulnerable person. I don't wanna be another rejection. So when I reached out to him, when I got wind that he was still so upset, I I absolutely felt for him. And it wasn't to save face, it was private. It was me saying, I didn't, you know, and I misstepped in my apology, he picked it apart, but I, I genuinely meant, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. You were too young to understand boundaries. Next sentence, that was my responsibility. He doesn't say, he doesn't try to include all of that. In that first apology, I said, you didn't understand boundaries. Next sentence, that was my job, and I didn't do that for you.
3: All and over. boundaries meaning?
2: Boundaries meaning when he started showing up at all the shows, and he would just stay in after all the people were gone with the meet and greet. How do you tell someone who says they don't have any friends, or they struggle to have friends, how do you tell them, listen, man, you can't be hanging around every time like this? People start to look at that, and they think, well, I want to hang around too. He gets special treatment. I saw it, and I didn't know, how, why, what do you say to someone vulnerable in that? In that point I had already established a connection that I wasn't prepared for it to evolve into what it did and then I didn't know how to navigate.
3: Well, I, I just want to just uh, recap something that was in the Twitter DMs that you shared and in, in the couple of minutes that we have left um, there are 20 total messages between you and Johnny between the first one and March 16th of 2015 uh, which was the last message from Johnny where he said that you ghosted him um, and 14 of the 20 messages uh, are from Johnny but uh, you hadn't responded to him actually since January 30th, 2014. But as you said, your last interaction that you recall was that you said the couple of months of, around the divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny had then sent seven messages after that with no response from you. In his video title, Let's Talk About Joshua David Evans, he says uh, very emphatically that the last interaction he ever had with you was March 16th, 2015, saying, quote, This is the last interaction I ever had with this man. He's saying that was March 2015. Um, but of course, he went to The Shadows Show, which was a few months after that. So as we've been trying to piece the timeline together, there have just been some things, some dates that uh, we're, we're, my team and I are just not quite certain what's happening with those dates. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have seen a, a last interaction, it seems, uh, was on last public interaction, at least on Twitter, that we found was on August 16, 2016, which sounds right around,
2: right around. Everything. August, September is when it happened. Okay. Can you tell me what that the, interaction was? Yeah,
3: the, well, his tweet is deleted, oh. uh, but your tweet says, uh, bring it bro, 90s music forever. Do you happen to remember what that was about? I
2: mean, I'm all about 90s music and I'm sure he made a reference or something. Okay. That reaction is absolutely what I would have given anybody who referenced something that I'm into, you know.
3: So to, to kind of wrap things up Um, why did you apologize in the way that you did
2: because his pain in those moments initial moments that I started seeing all this pop up his pain seemed so guttural and real that the first thing I wanted to do was run and say whatever I did whatever participation I was a part of with this I am so sorry that it led to any type of pain for you or it it led to um, a a disconnect of, of boundary or what was expected or where I dropped off or Whatever role I play that led to this being so harmful for you, I want to let you know that that was never my heart, and I'm so sorry that that happened. It was never my intent to swoop him in and then take him on this ride that led him to then be mistreated by Colleen and Corey on tour after the fact. Like I, there was there was no ill will. I never had ill will towards him, and I'm really trying my best now to not let my ego get in the way and say things I'll regret because. If you look at the things he says to me now or not to me he blocked me because i kept apologizing to him and he goes on to berate me daily on lives on tweets directed at me and then tells me get my name out of your mouth josh yet all he does is drag me through the mud and embellish every single thing he can the way and that's
0: something i'm also familiar with all he says Josh says all he does, all Johnny does is drag his name through the mud while at the same time saying, Get your name out of my mouth mm-hmm.
1: or out of your mouth. You not know all too well.
0: Yeah. Uh, smear campaigned. Hate crimed. Not actually hate crimes, but smear campaign.
2: Piecing it together is so unfair. And he's using it now. It it feels exactly how Colleen used other people behind the scenes to come after me. It's identical. The way it's being strung together, his, his, his word choices are so mean-spirited. I n- have never once tweeted something mean back to him, or you're this, or you're that, and I can't, nothing. Maybe confusion, but the fact that all he wants to do is any opportunity he can get to drag me he's doing it to the point where like I'm afraid for my job, I'm afraid for the life I've built. I had lost everything. I lost my career, I lost the family I loved, I lost my self-confidence, I lost lost my will to live, to then finally choose myself and fight for myself. Because that's where where it starts. You can't have other people do it for you, you gotta do it yourself. And that's hard, to choose yourself. And I think a lot of people watching this can also understand it's hard to get up and say, you're worth it, you deserve better, so do it. To have fought so hard, to have done so much therapy, to have become so consistently sober, three and a half, more than three and a half years, To change careers completely, to start from the bottom, to live at my mom's house for three and a half years, one, to take care of my mom and to be there for her, but also I needed it. I needed to heal. I needed to find myself again. And my mom gave me that opportunity. And I am forever grateful for my mother. To finally take a step out on my own and say, I'm doing this and I'm going to get my wife a house. I can do it because I have this job and it's a great job and I've worked hard to learn how to do this new type of job. I've only done entertainment my whole life. And because of all this, it's not a safe place for me at all everything that made me come alive is gone I didn't I don't want to perform I don't want to sing I don't want anyone to look at me I don't want to do this I don't want to have this conversation I don't want to be on camera
3: you had indicated that you were not going to return essentially to content creation
2: there's no part of me that wants this to send me off into a new direction with YouTube I don't want it it doesn't make me happy it makes me terrified there's a poison in seeking validation and being relevant. It's a constant thing you always have to fight for. I don't want to do that anymore. I want my life and my wife and the job that I love that I am finally doing so well in in my little dog and my little tiny house, not some big mansion. I don't have that life anymore. I don't want it to have fought so hard to get here to then have someone not give two shits if their words affect me or not when he knows so much of this is embellished and misleading. I even begged him in one of my initial messages. Listen, man, I just, I just wanna live my life. It feels like right as I'm coming back up for air for the first time, you want to set fire and burn me down all over again. I've been through this and I made it out. It's triggering. For the first time, I'm not, I'm not driving by a liquor store saying I gotta have it, but that thing in me is saying, maybe, maybe all of this effort is pointless. Maybe all this work that you put in is pointless because someone will still find a way. You'll still be second fiddle, you'll always fail, and it doesn't matter what you have to say about it. Thank you.
3: I'm not gonna lie, I'm not even sure I would've asked Joshua these next few questions knowing what I know now, but I've decided to leave them in for full transparency. Uh, We knew John had lied to us to some degree, but we're still in the process at the time of figuring out just how much he had lied to us. So at this time, I really wanted healing between these two men, especially since John kind of left the door open for that possibility at the end of our interview, although he kind of flipped and flopped and flipped, I, I don't really know, but I highly doubt that Joshua is interested in mending this fence now, especially after part three. But to be fair to me, I really just wanted to see how Joshua's answer would look to this next question, and his answer was quite interesting. I asked Johnny what he wants from you, and people online have been asking Johnny what do you want from Joshua, from you. And he had, and again I'm just paraphrasing here, I can't directly quote, I don't remember it immediately off the top of my head, but I think the one thing that he kind of landed on was that he wanted a phone call to talk to you. He just explained it as kind of a man-to-man phone call, one-to-one phone call looking at my notes here what upset him the most was that after seven years that you sent him a twitter dm yeah we've obviously heard your thoughts about the nature of how you viewed the the relationship and you discussing boundaries and things and going through the divorce which i do think you know is important for people to regardless of where people's allegiance where they want it to lie in this story which is exceptionally nuanced it's probably the most nuanced story that i've ever covered that's why we've taken so much time to Mm. To look into all of this because it is, there's just so many pieces here. He said a phone call. It sounded like he wanted that chance to just talk to you and not get a Twitter DM.
2: Why would he expect me to call him when, for the past few years before all of this happened, he's out there dragging my name publicly, calling me a little b? Now he would say it to my face? More than that, plenty more. Why would he expect now for me to be like, you know what? He deserves a phone call. Why would I pick up a phone? when you've already been dragging my name through the mud, when I've never said anything ill towards you or about you. Again, the audacity. What do you, you expect me? Okay, here I go again, let me be the bigger person again. So many times in my life I feel like I always have to like go through the the growing pains and no one else does. It's always me, I gotta face it. Nobody else has to face it. They just get away with everything. And it's like, to me, yeah, if if I had not seen those things, if I had not seen you dragging me for the last few years, Maybe I would have thought I don't have his number, but I'll ask for it. I lost it years ago. But I already, the word was all up in my head. So the fact that I still reached out and still sympathized with him and still spoke from the heart, and all he did was take that and make content out of it, shows me exactly where his head is at now and where it was then and where it continues to be. Everything out of his mouth seems opportunistic. And it seems if there's a way for him to take something about me, and amplify it and make it even worse and to bring attention to every single thing i do and damn everything that i say or do and make it about him then he's that's where he wants to be right now and he wants to be man to man i don't think he understands what that means because a man doesn't do what he does i'm willing to acknowledge and i have and i will continue to acknowledge my faults my shortcomings my selfishness my bad behavior years ago i'm man enough to face it he wants everything in his own favor He wants to be able to say what he wants, do what he wants, get all the acclamation, get all the followers. He he wants all of that. And then to also say, I just want a man-to-man conversation. No, you don't. You have not shown any type of behavior that shows that to me, that you don't come off to me as a man-to-man. You come off as someone who wants to see me suffer. You want to see me suffer. You're saying things that are just so utterly mean about everything. It's not just about our interactions. He tears apart everything I've ever done, my music, my shows, parts of who I am, he's tried to destroy every part of me. Who else did that? Cooling. And I'm supposed to say cool man to man, let's have a chat and be okay. In what world do you live in? Like I I want to come off like I'm okay and this is fine and let's end on a positive note, but this is hard. This is really hard and I don't feel like it's fair. And I will say to him a thousand times, I'm sorry for hurting you. And I'm sorry that by me distancing myself brought so much pain to you and you interpret it in a way that has lasting effects. I will say it a billion more times, but I will not sit back and say, cool, say whatever you want, control the narrative, profit off of it. I'm not profiting off of any of this. I'm not making a dime. I'm not trying to spin it to get something for myself. He says, everything I'm doing is performative. What part of this am I I getting out of it? What good stuff am I getting out of it? I'm just getting more criticism, more finger pointing, more he's only doing this for XYZ. I Y, Z. I can't say, I'm damned if I say something and I'm damned if I don't say something. I don't win. Not that I wanna win and someone loses. All I'm trying to do is be authentic and be real and be compassionate. And all of it is rejected and twisted. He's doing what Colleen did. He's using fans, younger people, painting a picture of me and then he's sending them out. Just like it happened in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, years and now he's doing it. I'm getting those same kind of comments now. The DMs I get, I'm, I'm happy I'm sober and I don't drink because if it was back then and I got these comments, it would have sent me right back to that bottle, but not anymore. I want my life and I wanna protect it. My wife deserves it. My little dog deserves it. I feel, I feel riled up right now, but it's only because I wanna protect the, my little bubble, my little private bubble where I make little tiny videos on Instagram about going to Home Depot. That's all I'm doing. I'm not making money off of that. It's just all of it feels wrong. It doesn't feel right. And once again, I feel like I either just tuck my tail and just accept that people are gonna say what they're gonna say and drag me once again, or I try to somewhere find the middle ground. I'm not a saint, I'm not perfect. I know I messed up, but I've done so much work to right those wrongs. I don't see anybody else popping up and taking accountability. It's not easy. I was the one rejected in the first place. And here I am again saying, I did these things and it's like it just doesn't matter. It's hard to feel like when you're a kid and you think you don't matter because someone tells you you don't matter and then you're 39 and all of a sudden you got tons of DMs telling you how shit you are, like you don't matter, I wouldn't wish that on him.
3: If you could sum up what you're feeling in one word, what would that be?
2: So many- I'm afraid. I've been afraid of her for years and what she was capable of doing and what she did. Afraid of now losing everything that I worked so hard for in a very genuine, heartfelt way. No manipulation, no shady stuff, just trying to do the right thing and work hard. I'm afraid. This is my life. Let me ask you
3: one more question, one word, yes or no. Have you forgiven Colleen?
4: No. No one's ever asked me.
3: Do you think... Feel terrible, say? You don't have to feel terrible
4: for saying what you feel. She's never shown me remorse. It. I I don't forgive her, but I also do my darndest not to the... Not even let her cross my mind. I don't want to think about her. And at this point, I'm very happy that I don't need it anymore I have what I need
3: if you were to give one final statement to the public who's watching this what would you want to say
2: I don't care how old you are if you're a kid a teen college a parent when you seek the validation of an influencer rather than the people that are truly in your life that's a road that becomes dangerous that will lead to only pain and feeling let down value those in your life that truly show up not just enjoy the clicks and not enjoy what your view does for them. There are a lot of mistakes I made, but I know there are a a lot more that could have been done, that has been done from other people. And I plead to anyone watching this, seek strength in yourself, validation in yourself and the people that are around you. And if you don't have someone around you, don't seek your validation from a social media person, a celebrity. They might care about you, but they can't. You're not their family as much as that that illusion exists, it's dangerous. Parents, watch what your kids are doing. Pay attention, ask them. Say, can I see your phone? Don't be their best friend. Protect them because these influencers, me included, did not protect them before. So please, think about them first. And any influencers that might come across this and hate watch because I'm on it, you have an opportunity to make things better. Choose those things. You have an opportunity when you see things are wrong and that you could be complicit like I did, Step up, go through the growing pains, and say this is not right. Being complicit, to me, can be just as damning as doing, pulling the trigger yourself. I understand that because I did it, and I have to carry that.
3: Regardless of where you know this, this whole story lands ultimately. uh, Like I said at the beginning, I think your perspective, your context, uh, sharing your story—I believe that you have the right to do so, and I appreciate you talking with me, sitting down here. I know this wasn't easy. And I think your words at the end there are as complicated and as nuanced as they are, given your history with all of these things and also things that are being said about you. I think that's those are important words for people to hear. So I appreciate you sharing that.
2: Yeah. There, there was one quote I said on my Twitter, and I stand by it now. You don't have to be perfect to do the right thing. That's it. So start now. That's why I'm trying. I'm trying, day after day. So Thank just, you for the opportunity.
3: Yeah, thank you for sitting down with me.
2: Yeah, this is the only what I'm doing. I'm not gonna go anywhere else. And I, I value how you create these things and your perspective and your professionalism. Everyone you've brought into this mix, I just you've handled me with the kind of care that I have not experienced in years. And I just it means more than I can express in words. So
3: my only hope is that everyone involved in this story finds some healing at the end of the day. Everyone is on their own journey. Mm-hmm. They have their own feelings. I will always stand by that. And I just hope everyone finds healing and that includes you.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah. And I hope they find that too. All right, thank you.
3: I want to take a moment before I give my final thoughts to this series and thank you all for being open enough to allow these very nuanced and complex conversations to be had. Joshua did not have to come here and speak with me but he did. Pamela did not have to share her heart but she did. In reality there have been so many people involved in this story who have opened themselves up to share their stories with me throughout this entire docuseries. People like Adam, Becky, Oliver, Alex, Ella, Bella, Soph, and others. Being open, being vulnerable no matter how difficult it may be is not easy for anyone and my hope throughout this series is that we can start to approach these topics the way that Pamela hopes for. With compassion, accountability where needed, honesty, and humanity. Now accountability is a layered word and its actions are open to interpretation depending on how we as individuals decide to view it. Again, I am just on the side of hoping that the truth can be discovered, that healing can be found, and that maybe as a community we can make an impactful change in how these stories are told even when it hurts. It's why I'm so grateful to each and every one of you watching for taking your time to explore this nuanced portrait of so many individuals. No matter where someone in the story lands, whether they remain in the shadows with their actions or step into the light, I think one thing is certain, there's a lot to be learned here, and hopefully the path forward for these people who are hurting becomes more and more clear by the day. As always, please excuse the brief tone shift as a bit of a palette cleanser, and then I will conclude all of this with my final thoughts. Uh, You can be sure to grab your pieces from the brand new Petty University Valid Collection by tapping the link below and in the pinned comment. I truly believe you're gonna love these pieces as much as I do, and I hope they are a constant reminder of just how powerful, brave, and valid you are. And I can't wait to start seeing your outfit photos. Please do tag me on Instagram so I can repost you. That is also linked below. I'm also launching a brand new second channel that you can subscribe to right now, where I'll be producing entirely new docs on truly mind-bending, topics as well as interviews. I hope you will join me over there. It is also linked below. Be sure to check my link below at Kenzie.com and use code SWOOP2 to get 20% off your Kenzie IPL device because you deserve it, honey. I want to echo some of the sentiments that I've had throughout covering this story over the last three months, which is my belief that the Colleen Ballinger universe and the actions of a few have had widespread, lasting negative effects on so many people, almost too many to count at this point. When I first pitched this story to my team, the three of us set out with one singular goal here, to get to the bottom of this story, figure out the pain it has caused so many, find the truth and try to present that truth in hopes that maybe we can start to have healthier conversations around these topics so that hopefully in time, everyone involved can find healing and the support that they need. I never imagined that the story would pan out the way that it did. I never imagined that halfway through this, I would even be pulled in. Covering this story has been one of the most mentally, emotionally, and physically draining experiences I have ever had. And that goes for my team as well. The gaslighting, the manipulation, the uncertainty of who we could and who we couldn't trust with information as our investigation went deeper and deeper became almost overwhelming. And even with that in mind, my experience here, my team's experience still pales in comparison to the experiences of those who I always want to keep front and center Adam, Becky, Oliver, Ella, Bella Alex, Soph, April, and all of the anonymous witnesses who have come forward privately and publicly. They have experienced a level of hurt, exhaustion, confusion, empowerment, vulnerability, and bravery that I can only try to comprehend. And through it all, they remained steadfast in their truths no matter what the world did or didn't say, even in the face of Colleen Ballinger denying them the accountability that they asked for. And the fact of the matter is, more information could come out about Colleen or Corey or John or Josh or anyone directly involved in this story. And if it does, my team and I will be there to analyze it. But for the time being, Joshua came here like many others, shared his story, his pain, his participation in causing pain, and ultimately his hopes for everyone involved and the protection of future generations. And while it's not my place to accept his words on behalf of the others, I do hope at the very least when all is said and done as we refocus back on everyone I listed, that it might bring everyone maybe just one step closer to true healing when the time is right for them. So Thank you all for watching, for giving me the space to share this story. Be good to each other, hold each other up, and I will see you in the next one. Bye.
0: All right, that is hella long, but (laughs) that's that. That
1: was a lot. Three and a half hours.
0: That was a lot. I'm so exhausted now, but also it was... uh... I don't know, something I think it was definitely important to follow up on because this entire Colleen Ballinger situation too just has everything to do with everything we experienced and everything that a lot of people experience, people that are going through smear campaigns, people that have toxic followings, and it's such like a drama of people. And so thankful to Swoop for this content.
1: She did a really, really good, really thorough job of all of this she handled it so well
0: yeah i cannot wait to see what she does next with her career
1: it's weird to think that colleen ballinger got a whole netflix show and sloop doesn't have one that's crazy Uh, maybe not yet maybe not yet yeah
0: but this is just i don't know i just think this is so powerful and i really wish I really hope Josh gets some. I mean, Josh seems like he's done some serious healing. So I hope Mm -hmm. that that continues for him and his wife and his loved ones.
1: I really appreciate what he had to say about encouraging people to find validation within and not to seek social media influencers and celebrities for that, because you are not their family. You are not their best friend. And he kind of said without saying know parasocial relationships aren't really the way especially if you're a kid like watch what your kids are doing yeah Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah
0: this is definitely a story about shallowness of parasocial relationships too Mm
1: -hmm. and how toxic they can become when you think that by taking certain actions on behalf of a celebrity that you're fond of that you're gonna somehow win their favor and in the case of colleen ballinger at one point maybe that was true for a handful of people and so everyone that wants to be close to her thinks that they have a chance which makes it horrible for victims of colleen yeah and that book the wave um the more
0: i think about it the more that that is it's kind of like youth young adult reading but it is really like speaks to this situation the way it's it's about this school i guess i just brought it up earlier in the episode but that was also like several hours ago in real time um <laughs> but what's a goddamn book called i can never fucking find things when i want to um Todd Strasser is the author. And it's like all about this social experiment where they try to make the kids turn into Nazis basically in the school. And it were it like they're not literal Nazis, but they just start behaving like Nazis and it t- it doesn't take very much. And it's kind of like reminiscent of the Stanford experiment, too. And it's very easy to slip into normalizing and justifying just terrible behavior. Mm-hmm. So anyway that's interesting how that plays out here
1: yeah i'm glad we did this follow-up this is gonna be a beast to edit and i don't even know how to go about editing this one
0: yeah as we were doing it i was like there's no way we're gonna get this done like next by tomorrow so i think we should just put it out for next week <laughs> and i don't know how else either like i guess just go through the timeline and then like clip out the parts of the because hopefully it'll show up on the recording with the audio from swoop so wherever it's relevant maybe just like have a little bit of that but i hope i tried to like
1: explain the parts too it's a lot <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll do my best i just i haven't edited this style of audio before so i don't know i'll give it a shot yeah
0: I'm sorry. I'm also like exhausted now. I'm just like so exhausted. I want to, like... I almost wish we watched through this the first time together. So maybe we can make
1: a habit of doing that a different time if something else like this comes out. Yeah. I think we're both pretty tired through this one. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how it's going to sound. I don't do feel like I have a lot it, to
0: say. Do you think we should just not do this one as an episode?
1: I'm not saying that, I just don't know how it's going to sound so I don't feel like I had a whole lot to say.
0: I feel like I also was, like, f- like really tired the whole time from beginning to end of the whole thing, which is a shame. I was trying so hard to be up because I really wanted to do this.
1: Yeah. I I don't know. What do you think we should do? I mean, I Want to listen through it, but that's another three and a half hours to sit through just to see if it sounds okay. And then I don't know how I don't know how to edit this. I don't know how to edit it. Like, I don't know how to go about editing this. Maybe it's just hard for me to think about because I'm so tired right now.
0: All right. Well, let's just end it here and then we can deal with whatever the hell this is a different day. Okay. i don't know i apologize for that
1: i feel bad don't feel bad it's just i think we're both really tired and there's stuff i wanted to say but i don't know i don't think i said much
0: i don't feel like i said much either i feel like i feel like i had so much to say after i watched the first time through this i feel like most of it i don't know i feel like we touched on stuff but I'm also, like, super fucking exhausted and I don't want to be.
1: I tried very hard to stay up and
0: not be exhausted.
1: I'll get some rest tonight. I'll upload the Burning Man one in the morning. And then we can revisit this episode. Or I'll try to edit it and see how it turns out.
0: All right, I think that's probably for the best. I don't know about it. I don't know what you want to do, but yeah, definitely do like Burning Man this week just because this is too much to deal with tomorrow.
1: Yeah. I I'm probably not explaining myself well. It's just a different style of podcast episode, so I don't know how to go about editing it. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. Well, that makes sense.
0: I I just also it's just also really like it's just very, very late. And I don't know. Maybe we can plan for doing it a little bit earlier in the future time. Okay. Right. Well let's get some sleep. All right. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay.